It's phone booth fighting. I'm Richard. He's Frank. This is the podcast that we do twice a week. One day late this week, and we uh, apologize for that. We had some uh, scheduling issues to work around, which means we're going back to back two nights in a row tonight. Holidays. Holidays. Yes, Halloween is a big holiday for the Mirror family as well as the abbreviated Hunter family. Don't think that this is a mirror only no. uh, observance of uh, Halloween. We're going to talk about what went down. Because we actually combined a we little did. bit of our Almost Halloween. got to go to Disneyland with us if you had planned a little earlier. That's right. But uh, we did manage to meet up and have an adventure. So we'll be talking about that, what happened to us uh, during uh, Halloween. So we will tell you all about what went down uh, for Halloween and how we celebrated and all that sort of thing. A couple of programming notes tonight. The great Eddie Bravo is going to join us. It's EBI week, Frank. I always get so excited when it's EBI week. EBI 9 is coming up Sunday night at the Orpheum Theater in L.A. You and I are going to be there. We don't miss these events. And Eddie Bravo comes on as per our tradition now and gets us very excited, very excited about uh, the submission-only grappling tournament that bears his name so he's going to be on with us and then on tomorrow's episode we uh, are going to talk to the great Chael Sonnen who Chael is going to be very happy about something he does not know this yet and I'm going to keep this under wraps until we have him on tomorrow night I can only imagine how he will revel in this news we're going to share it with our uh, with our live streaming listeners uh, first Chael as of this week, became our most downloaded guest in phone booth fighting history. Oh, nice. That's right. His episode, the last episode. There's always a good sound bite. Yeah, the last episode that he did with us uh, is is become our all-time record holder in terms of our most downloaded episode. So uh, he is a he is a, a ratings juggernaut, that Chael Sonnen. And um, we'll be talking to him. It's a little... Um, a little pre-election talk. We'll be getting into that with him. It's always fun when the three of us talk some politics. We'll also be talking about uh, the latest developments in the um, the uh, uh, the resumption of his uh, MMA career. Now he's officially a Bellator fighter. I know we talked about that the last time he was on, but uh, we I think we've got some developments since then. We've got a date and an opponent and some trash talking and all that kind of stuff. Hey, Martin from Scotland. What's up? Thanks for checking in. What time is it there? Yeah, what time is it in Scotland, is Martin? Six in the morning Let or us something? know. Yeah, did you get up early with us or what? Uh, yeah, we'll be streaming video tomorrow night as well, Justin, to answer your question. But Chell is going to be joining us. And uh, uh, we also have some uh, news that we will uh, reveal that has to do with our own Frank Mir that may or may not have a connection to Chell Sonnen. I'll go ahead and take one thing off the table. The two of you are not fighting. That is not happening. As of yet. Right, right. Maybe by tomorrow night we'll have that deal uh, worked out. But anyway, we'll we'll reveal all that tomorrow night when we uh, talk with Chael. First things first, though, Eddie Bravo on the guest line. Let's get right to it. Let's talk EBI. 
Frank, joining us on the guest line right now is the great Eddie Bravo. That must mean one thing. Eddie, it's EBI week. You know how excited I get for EBI week. EBI 9 is this Sunday, again, at the Orpheum Theater in L.A. You can watch it on uh, UFC's Fight Pass. Uh, Tickets are available, and you can get those at ebiofficial.com. It's uh, Eddie Bravo. It's uh, EBI 9, and Eddie, that's eight more than you were counting on having, right? Right? Yeah, it's crazy. I can't believe we're nine shows deep. It's insane. Now, this is going to be the uh, light heavyweights for the first time, right? Yes, first time. Yes. All right. Now, uh, give us a rundown of uh, what's going to be the same and, and what's going to be different. Because, uh, for example, I know arguably one of your your uh, fastest rising stars, Gordon Ryan, is uh, going to be in this tournament. But we're also going to see some newer faces because we haven't seen the light heavyweights compete before. Well, we had a new revelation today. Um, we have good news, good news and bad news. Uh-oh. So we want to you want the good or the bad news first? Frank, what do you want first? I always go with bad first, end on a pleasant note. Okay, give us the bad, and then we'll end on an uptick. Okay, the bad news is Gordon Ryan is out. He got cut in training, a big cut over his eye, so he's out. He was trying to get that third belt. Yeah. He was out for that third belt, but now he's out. That's the bad news. Okay. Now the good, news. The good news. The good news is uh, the only other guy in EBI who has two belts who would like a third is Gary Tonin, his instructor. So Gary Tonin steps in for Gordon Ryan. So really, I mean, they're they're both on top of the world right now. So um, we got a lucky break that you know we lost we lost one of our top guys, but we gained another top guy. Okay, well that that is truly some good news because on a, on a personal level, uh, Gary Tonin is my EBI man crush. He's my favorite uh, uh, grappler in the whole uh, EBI uh, uh, leg lock and schematic right now. But let me ask you about that because I could have sworn I saw on I think it was Gary's Instagram a couple of days ago that he had actually taken a deep cut and he was on his way to the hospital or something. Did you did you hear about that? Yeah, I did hear about that, but apparently it's nowhere near the size of Gordon Ryan. So okay. Gary Tony's jumped he's down, he's into it. What now the- now why do you why, why, did, why is Gary your favorite grappler in EBI? I think for a couple of reasons. One, I, I really like his personality. You know, we've had him here on the show. I just think he's a very engaging guy, and I'm a big fan of the cerebral martial artist. That's why I hang out with Frank all the time. But uh, also, uh, you know, because of this whole leg locking revolution and, and being a low-level grappler myself, I'm fascinated with learning the leg locks. You know, they were, they were kind of forbidden fruit the whole time I was a white belt because like a lot of schools uh, where I went, you know, they didn't want to show you that stuff because uh, the average novice may not know what they were were doing and they didn't want to risk injury and stuff. So once I got to, once I, once I got a blue belt, uh, then guys really started showing me stuff and it's just gone hand in hand with my EBI watching experience because it's like, I've been uh, learning, it's kind of like, you know, uh, learning to play guitar and discovering Van Halen at the same time. You know what I mean, Eddie? Exactly. That's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah, so that's what makes me a fan of his. And honestly, you know, and I know you and I have had this conversation off the air before. I think one of the great 
things about the EBI franchise right now is in addition to putting on exciting shows, you guys are also building personalities like uh, like uh, Gary or or uh, Eddie Cummings or uh, you know, and not just the the Danaher guys, but you know that that we're starting to see some personalities emerge, which is you know from being around the UFC all these years, and Frank can attest to as well. It's very important to have that because newer fans, more casual fans, have to be able to relate to you know who who they're watching not only their skill set but little uh, you know idiosyncrasies of their personality too yeah it's uh you know it, it goes both ways it's, it's a symbiotic thing you know we provide the stage but you know you're not going to be a star just because you're on that stage you got to perform you got to win and you got to take people out and that's exactly what gary tone and gordon ryan eddie cummins Gio martinez that's exactly what they do they go in and take people out now, how with with Gary stepping in for uh, for Gordon Ryan? I mean, this is a a, a light heavyweight affair. Uh, Gary holds your uh, your hundred and seventy pound uh, title. How how naturally big is he when he's when he's walking around? I mean, how much of a of a weight disadvantage is he is he going to be at compared to somebody like uh, like say Vinny Magales, who's also in this tournament, right? Yeah, he's definitely going to be the smallest guy in the tournament. But Gordon Ryan is not a 205er either. He's a tall guy, and he could put a lot of uh, uh, weight on uh, because of his, his lanky, long body. But Gordon Ryan could get down to, like, 160. You know, so they're guys. Maybe Gordon has a little, a little weight on Gary, and Gary will probably show up 180 max. So he's going to be outweighed by, you know, 25, 30 pounds at least. Now you uh, you you also uh, had uh, and that you see all this on the EBI nine uh, countdown show, so you can uh, learn a little bit about the grapplers you're going to see on uh, Sunday. You're also showcasing some some uh, newer faces who who maybe have been too big to compete in the past. So maybe give us an idea of uh, a couple of the uh, you know the the newer components that we'll be seeing. And, and while they may be new faces, they come from uh, in some cases familiar camps. Like uh, I know uh, uh, Denny Prokopos and uh, 10th Planet San Francisco. He's got a guy in there and uh, and, and stuff like that. But we're going to be seeing some new guys, right? Yeah, Adam Stacknoff, he, he is getting Prokopos' black belt. He's my black belt. Yeah. Representing 10th Planet, of course. He, uh, this is his first appearance at EBI. He did the ADCC trials and submitted three black belts, Gogo Blast, a triangle, and a guillotine. He, he has super high-power finishing capabilities. And um, uh, also, we got a Gibson Ta, who's a Brazilian uh who's been doing jiu-jitsu his whole life. His dad was a jiu-jitsu instructor and his brother does jiu-jitsu. And he has submission wins over guys like Bouchesha, Hector Lombard, Jeff Munson. So Gibson saw, a lot of people are predicting Gibson saw to win the whole thing. He's in there. Of course, you have Vinny Magalhães, who's an ADCC gold medalist. He's probably favored now to win the whole thing since Gordon, Gordon's gone. Uh, he was, Vinny was probably favored to win um, even with Gordon in the lineup. Because, because of uh, you know his size and his experience, but you never know. You know, Gordon could have took it easily. You know, who knows? Who knows how it's all going to turn out? Um, we got um, a, a fantastic heel hooker from the Atos camp named Jimmy Friedrich. He was an EBI six 
losses for, uh, in the first round to Richie Boogeyman Martinez. But make, make no mistake about it, this guy has some serious star power. He won the Metal Morris Challenger, and um, he's a big guy with super, super polished professional leg lock. So that's going to be interesting to see how he does. We got Travis Moore, Elliot Kelly. We got um, uh, Daniel Stroth, who's from the U.K., who's a black belt under Roger Gracie. We also got Tom Breeze, who's a black or a brown belt under uh, uh, Faraz Harabi, who's under Dan or her death squad. So Tom Breeze is, is kind of death squad-ish, I guess. I'm not sure exactly how deep he is in, in that, in the whole death squad camp, but um, they are related. Uh, we also got um, Rodrigo Antunes from Paragon Jiu-Jitsu. He's been training at Hyaston for a long time, too, so he's, he's, he's uh, not uh, um, unfamiliar with leg locks. Um, yeah, I'm actually interested to see uh, when you guys mentioned that Magalesh was going to be in the tournament. I remember the first time when I came down, I think it was uh, the uh, Absolute in uh, EBI 6. <clears throat> I was sitting there, you know, and I think every fighter, we do that. We sit there and go, well, how would I do? You know, and you sit there and start measuring out yourself and, I remember thinking, oh, I'll do well against everybody except for who would I not want to face? And I was like, ah, Vinny Magalesh, because I've trained with him yeah. for several hours on the mat, and I've never met more of a pain in the ass of anybody <laughs> to finish. I've had the guy, I remember one time I had him in an Uma Plata, and I reached over, grabbed the footlock. It's a finish that I usually am a pretty high percentage on. I have the toe hold. I'm cranking on it like crazy i have it all the way pushed twisted around to his hip and i'm like looking up at my training partner and he's just looking at me like and shrugged his shoulders I, I don't know what to tell you to do i'm like i don't know either this guy's joints just aren't built like normal people's joints yeah he had an armbar situation against fabrizio verdum and, and adcc a while back where he was caught in a full-blown armbar by fabrizio and he didn't tap and he escaped and won yeah, and I knew how Fabricio felt in that situation where, you know, I never could, uh, you know, get locked up any power moves on uh, Magalesh anytime we train. But, uh, you know, foot locks and heel hooks, I feel very comfortable with. I enjoy leg attacks. And I remember the whole time, like, I'm like, you can't submit this guy with a leg lock. You just can't, his knees, his hips, for whatever reason. Uh, you know, I just could never get enough. I mean, he's obviously a high-level black belt in jiu-jitsu, and getting you can't get a hundred percent tight position on him. And even as you get it to eighty-five percent, ninety percent, his physical genetics are just—I mean, the guy's flexibility. He's built like an Adonis. Like I'm like, if anybody was born built to do submission grappling only tournaments, it's this guy. So the minute you guys announced Vinny was going to be in there, I'm like, oh, I have to make it out there. This this is exactly the one matchup immediately I thought about. When I first started really vesting some interest in the uh, whole submission only grappling tournaments. Nice, nice. It's going to be crazy. Vinny could take the whole thing. You never know. I mean, he's 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 favored right now on paper. He's got to be favored, but you can't you can't sleep on Gibson Saw, Daniel Strauss. We got some some heavyweights in there, you know. What do you think about the whole uh, little bit of rumors about Keenan? You know, obviously the guy is one of the most decorated jiu-jitsu guys in the world. You know. Uh, little bit of rumor saying that maybe possibly he wasn't injured, that maybe he's just trying to avoid Gordon Ryan and this setup of rules. Uh, do you think there's any merit to that? You know what? I don't know why he pulled out. He never gave me a reason. Um, he just didn't want to do it. And uh, I didn't even ask. If you, don't, if you, don't, you don't need a reason. If you don't want to do it, you don't need a reason. I'm not, you know, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and obviously, uh, there's no shortage of guys who 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 want to do this, and it's growing uh, uh, from one event to the next. With uh, you know, as the, the the word EBI spreads, and I want to go back, Eddie, and ask you about a couple of guys that that you you already mentioned, but just talk a little bit more in depth about them. First of all, Tom Breeze. UFC fans will know this guy. He's a UFC uh, welterweight fighter who was undefeated until uh, he he just lost a split decision back in June in the UFC to Sean Strickland. As you said, he's a, a brown belt under Faraz Zahabi training up there at TriStar, but he now has an MMA record of 10-1 and one with six submissions. So I think for UFC fans, uh, not only will they recognize him, but they'll be excited to see him compete in a grappling environment. I guess my question about this, Eddie, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it, is do you think a fighter that has MMA experience, especially at the top UFC level like Tom, has either maybe some type of psychological advantage, given the fact that he's you know been in there getting blasted in the face and stuff like that, or could it possibly be a disadvantage because he's not really anticipating the the slow methodical pace uh, uh, that 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 uh, uh, you know of. Uh, uh, conniving uh, <laughs> jiu-jitsu practitioner could employ and maybe get the, the better of them. You think it's an advantage or a disadvantage when it's all said and done? I think it evens itself out. I think the experience under the big lights uh, in front of millions of people, that definitely helps. That, that definitely doesn't hurt. But then at the same time, MMA fighters are spending a lot of time working on the striking, and uh, they're not working on not getting leg locked, you know what I mean? And an MMA fighter isn't spending a lot of time learning uh, the intricacies of the modern-day leg lock game. And in EPI, you got to be on top of that every day. So uh, that's the disadvantage there is that MMA fighters aren't working on the sub-only game as much as a pure sub-only fighters are. Now, <clears throat> there's been talk about the open-hand strikes being introduced into EBI. Is that starting up in this tournament? No, no. Uh, starting, uh, this is EBI 9. EBI 10 is one month from today, December 2nd, in Mexico City. Um, that's going to be the 135ers. Um, uh, Gio Martinez is the 135 champ. He's going to defend his belt. Eddie Cummings is moving down to 35. He wants that belt, too. Um, then the, the first show in 2017 is going to be in February. It's going to be the welterweights. That's when we're going to bring in combat jiu-jitsu. But it's not going to be the whole thing. We're going to have a 16-man tournament. We're doing the welterweight. Gary Tonin's the champion of that. Uh, and then in between the rounds of the 16-man regular EBI rules tournament, like we're, we're going to stick in a four-man combat jiu-jitsu tournament in between every round. So you, you, need, you need three matches to do a four-man tournament. So um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to use those three spots in between the rounds of the regular oh, okay. tournament to inter interweave a four-man combat jiu-jitsu tournament, which is basically uh, EBI, but as soon as one guy's on the ground, you can throw palm strikes to the face. Only to the face or to the body everywhere? To the body everywhere, just like uh, anywhere that you would be able to punch in an amateur MMA fight, palm strike. Face, side of the head. Obviously not the back of the head, right. but the body, the chest, you know. What um, was the inspiration for bringing that along? I mean, 
I'm a big proponent of trying to, and that's why I really thought, you, you and I probably think the same, we have to, that grappling needs to be as close to real fighting as we can possibly make it. Because obviously then, you know, what are we doing? We're just doing decorated Tai Chi then. Because, you know, there's no, if that doesn't have a carryover. And that's why I think you yourself probably, you know, went away from the gi. You're like, well, I can never cross choke somebody in my garden, a real fight. Why am I going to train and practice this? And so now with the open hand strikes, to me, it's like, wow, that's actually another way that now I can safely, you know, relatively safely, you know, no one's going to break their hand. And, you know, obviously the concussions and cutting are not going to be the extreme with a closed fist or with an elbow. But now you have guys able to simulate grappling in a very realistic atmosphere it's like well pretty much this is going to look like an mma match not where guys may be uh focusing solely on trying to win on a ground and pound slap your bitch out type scenario but as far as if i go for a heel hook if i can keep you from slapping me then i can definitely keep you from punching me in the face and the carryover value is is remarkable exactly it's a it's a style of jiu-jitsu that's best suited for uh, a MMA or a street fight, you know. Bottom line, we're into jujitsu for its practicality and its realism. So all all we're doing by adding the palm strikes is adding just a little more realism, and you know, it's keeping our jujitsu a little more honest. I don't think it's really going to change the leg lock game that much. I think Eddie Cummings will still heel hook you, even if you try to palm strike him. But what it's going to do? What what you, it's going to make you focus on leg lock positions that are safe and, and really it's going to kind of cut out and um, what it's going to do is going to bring a lot of power to the mount you know without strikes the mount isn't that crazy people let dudes mount each other all the time like Gary Tonin lets people mount them and stuff uh, with the palm strike the mount becomes a, a super powerful position now well, and I think uh, it re revigorizes the top position. That's the only thing that I kind of like if you sat there, you know, and I always try to play devil's advocate. That way I can try to look at a situation from both angles, right? You're a huge uh, a proponent yeah. of critical thinking as myself. And I look at it and go, well, what's the one downfall right now of the EBI rule system? And I'm watching, I'm like, oh, man, there's no real incentive really to get on top. You know, it kind of exposes your feet, you know, you know, and, and guys yeah. right now, you see them both sitting to guard, and I'm like, well, that doesn't really carry over to MMA too much. Guys are going to want to be in top position because you can strike, and not that, you know, and, and I think I personally find it easier to submit people when I'm on bottom. I have more limbs at my disposal. They're having to worry about their balance and sweeping and other aspects where it makes it, you know, more uh, conducive to actually being on the bottom until you start trying to punch my teeth in, and then I have to change the game up a little bit. So the fact that you added the, you know, the palm strike, I'm like, well, shit, he must have read my mind. That kind of fixes the problem there because really before with point jujitsu, how do you give people the, uh, you know, um, an incentive to try to be in a top position, which is pretty good to be in a fight in the top position. It's like, well, give them points. Well, then you had guys corrupting that system going, well, I'm not really going to try to jujitsu or I'm not going to try to submit you. I'm not going to do anything that applies to a real fight. I'm going to take you down, win on points and hold you. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do? Some guy tries to, you know, put, you know, beat your ass on the way to the car. You're going to pin him down and hold him for 15 minutes. That's not fighting. And that bugged me. And then you came up, you know, with a really great system with the submission only grappling and, you know, the way to finish where it doesn't finish in a draw like the Meta Morris has a nightmare with and then now it's like well everybody's just fighting for footlocks but now with the hand strikes I'm like shit man this is this is awesome like 
now you just re-incentivize the top game where guys aren't just going to, you know, sit and pull guards. Like, well, you know, if I end up on top and slap the shit out of you for a little bit, might wear you down, disrupt your breathing, and then I might be able to set up a submission or a pass, and, and now I'm going to make you pay for it as we go on to the, you know, maybe, you know, towards the end of the, uh, end of the round. Yeah, you know, uh, a combat jiu-jitsu was the original idea. That's, I was gonna, my plan was to do EDI with palm strikes from day one. But the problem was, is I couldn't get, um, I got the sport, I got the sport commission through the California Athletic State, uh, through, uh, the, the Amateur Athletic Commission, but I didn't, um, they wouldn't let me do it outside of a cage. I had to do it in a cage. And they were going to give me, all they gave me was three, three minute rounds only because they, they were just being safe. They didn't really know what to expect. I, I wanted to do it like uh, on an open mat, but with palm strikes. So we tried a couple matches. We did a couple of combat jiu-jitsu matches in a cage at University of MMA shows. We did a couple of them. They had lukewarm uh, success, but you just can't do palm strikes in a cage. It looks like pussy ass MMA, but yeah. you put palm strikes. You put palm strikes in jiu-jitsu on a jiu-jitsu match, and all of a sudden it's hardcore, extreme, crazy jiu-jitsu. Same sport. One, one has a cage, one doesn't. Two different outlooks, two different perspectives. Well, I mean, that's kind of the problem, I guess, when you're always on the cutting edge of trying to be innovative, is that sometimes when the rest of the world doesn't catch up to you, you're looking like, you know, it's, it's like, well, no, that's not a really a great idea. But then once everybody, now that you've done the EBIs and just catching up, and, and you know what, and that's another thing I love about it is that if I, there's one thing I hate about MMA as a fan, it's the cage. I find it hard to walk, you know, it seems like no matter what, you have a cameraman standing in front of you or you have one of the bars, you know, that hold the cage up as blocking view. It's yeah. not the most yeah. visually forgiving uh, aspect of our sport, whereas now with the open mat, I, I wish they could figure out a way to do that with MMA because when I come down and watch you the know competitions, they do it? it's such an easy thing to watch and no one's in my way. Yeah, you know they do that in co combat sambo. They have full striking with with uh, with uh, like D jackets and they yeah, I've seen it. That's what Fedor has won multiple times. Yeah, they do it in open mat. They don't have a cage. Yeah, I don't know why so, we can't figure um, out a way to do that because, and even an idea that I had thrown around to people in the past. I'm like, hey, you know, not not that it's MMA, but they did that. Uh, the uh, what was it? Uh, Chuck Norris had that league for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they had it to where it was like a sunken area. I'm like, how much better would that be not to have to, you know, guys can work around? Because that's another thing about the cage that kind of sucks is that you get a guy with just a little bit of experience and he can be on top of a black belt in jiu-jitsu and be only a blue belt level really skill-wise. But if I shove his head against the cage, that blue belt's going to be really hard to submit now because it nullifies yeah. ability to move hips and freedom. And it really takes away all the different skill sets that this black belt's worked on for years by just simply, well, I can eliminate it just if I shove your head in the corner. I'm all, well, I'm not really seeing jujitsu now. Now I'm just seeing the physics you know, of body weight trumped against a, a cage. You know, like that's not what I, I came to pay to watch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and then after I did, you know, EBI eight, I realized, you know, let me ask, let me, let me check in with the commission now. Let's see if they, if they change their mind about letting me do it on open mat. And I talked to big John McCarthy. I talked to Mel Mike Beltran and, um, JT who's, inside the commission mm -hmm. uh and they they you know now after they they've seen what i've did with ebi they're totally into it and the com commission approved it and it's uh, ready to go now and it's fully commissioned and we're going to start it i uh, are going to like i said it's going to be a four-man 
combat jiu-jitsu tournament interwoven with a 16-man regular EBI tournament. So we're not losing the old EBI. We're just gaining a four-man combat jiu-jitsu tournament. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. Maybe it's a complete disaster. Maybe some there's some unforeseen problem that I, I, that I can't detect at this moment, and it's going to fall apart. Or it's going to be... Uh, People are going to love it, and they're going to like it better than regular EBI rules. And then after a while, it'd be kind of stupid to do regular EBI rules. I don't know. Or maybe we just continue just the way. Maybe this is perfect. We do them both at the same time, a 16-man tournament with a four-man combat jiu-jitsu tournament. Maybe that's the best. Yeah, I don't think it's going to kill, in my opinion. I, I feel that EBI rules, you know, the, the traditional, will always be the core of it because it's you know pretty much what grappling it, it's purest what we're going to look at as, as grapplers but uh what i really foresee now that you've done this and now you're going to get it on uh you know fight pass and other organizers are going to see it i see it as a whole other layer to a guy trying to become a professional fighter you know because right now you go from you know submission grappling tournaments and smoke or kickboxing matches you know and then you jump into an amateur fights well you know if you go from jiu-jitsu tournaments to amateur fighting that's a, you know, that's a pretty big step that you're going to where people now are trying to you know put their shin through your face Whereas this, I think, yeah. is a great transition. I mean, my kids are all practitioners, and I'm like, wow, this is a great first step. My daughter, she will definitely be doing a open palm striking match before she does amateur fights as a transition from grappling. It's like, all right, well, we've done grappling. Yeah. Now, you know, we don't have to worry about getting punched or kicked on our feet, but you are going to have to start addressing some of the positions that strikers are going to use. And, you know, with an open hand, it'd be much more forgiving. You know, the knockout percentage is going to be extremely rare, in my opinion. But what a great hey, oh, step oh. before you go into amateurs. You start the warm-up? Um, yeah, you know, um, uh, it, it's going to attract three, three different kinds of people. Warm-up. Warm-up. Yeah, yeah, please, please. Uh, Just like you said, the guys that, um, grapplers, wrestlers, and jiu-jitsu players that want to eventually get into MMA, but they're not really working their striking, combat jiu-jitsu is for them. Also, guys that have already done, uh, guys that have already done uh, MMA, and they're like, man, this is just too brutal on my body, I can't handle it. Those, we're going to get those guys coming back and go, you know what, combat is just as perfect for me. It's not as brutal as what, I, what I've been doing the last eight years. And it's also going to get a third kind of person, someone that has no desire to do MMA. They're just jiu-jitsu players, but they want to do jiu-jitsu, compete in jiu-jitsu in the most um, realistic way as far as jiu-jitsu itself goes. And combat jiu-jitsu for sure. If combat jiu-jitsu blows up and... Uh, you know, there's all these champions from different weight classes. No doubt that a, a, a combat jiu-jitsu champion is going to be um, well more prepared for an MMA career than some guy who, who won uh, points tournaments in the gi. That's for sure. How are they going to dress as far as uh, the open hand strikes on the ground? I mean, is there a potential to win by knockout? I mean, uh, not yep, that. Yeah, I mean, you could win. You could, you could, you could, there's a TKO. Big John McCarthy and Mike Beltran. They're going to be repping, and uh, it's going to be just treated like an amateur MMA fight in the sense of like a knockout. Like if the guy's getting rocked, they're going to stop it and it's over. Wow! But there's not going to be there's not going to be any palm strikes in overtime. When you get into overtime, no palm strikes. Okay, so Nothing. if I have your back, I can't just start teeing off on you to open up the choke in overtime. In, in, overtime. in the regular in in, reg, in regulation, if you get a guy's back, you could tee off on oh, okay. him. Okay, just like a but. In the overtime rounds, no, there, there's, it's going to be regular EBI overtime. 
Okay, that's interesting. I'm, you got me. I, I'm I'm convinced this is actually a very innovative thing that you know. Obviously, you know I've seen the uh, sometimes you know you know pancreation and whatnot that's had the open strikes to the face and especially on the ground and old rings competition. You know that was a full blown professional MMA, but no close fist strikes to the face when on the ground and you know. But I think this is actually you know now that people are going to be exposed to something that you know that you're you know necessarily that you maybe not invented, but you're really going to make put on the biggest stage it's ever been on before i see this being a huge thing for a lot of guys and you know like i said for people that are running amateur tournaments or amateur competitions this is something else they can sell people on uh this is a i think an easier step if i'm a, just a jiu-jitsu player and i want to go do fights amateur fights that's still a daunting step to go in there and you know you're getting punched and kicked for real but now it's like well we're just going to add slaps on the ground open hand strikes it's like Okay, well, that's okay. That's a little bit easier of a transition. It's not exactly going from two-hand touch to full-blown tackling. It's like, well, we're going to hit each other, but under these controlled scenarios. Yes, exactly. It's just really, you know, um, combat jiu-jitsu in a cage looks like homo MMA, but you put it on mat. You put it on mat. You put it on mat. Eddie, that's, that's the worst name for a promotion ever. I think I've seen a couple of those videos and I'm surfing porn up. <laughs> I don't look too long, but I see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Maybe, I don't know, maybe in West Hollywood or something. Hey, all right. Eddie, yeah, but you, you, put it, you put it on mat. You put it on mat. And it looks like hardcore gangster extreme jujitsu. Yeah. Well, Eddie, listen, speaking of that, before we, uh, we wrap up, I know you got to get to class or something, so I'm going to let you do that. But I got to ask you, I was hearing you tell somebody to start warming up in the background. I need to know where I can find a 9 p.m. jiu-jitsu class on a Wednesday night to jump in on. Sounds like I need to move over to 10th Planet. Is that, uh, is that routine around there, late night classes? What's up? Well, I like to teach from 8, 8.30 to 10.30. That's my spot. We have 6 o'clock classes. We have 7 o'clock classes. Uh, but um, I, I'm a I'm a night owl. Yeah, so. I like that. I like that. I yeah. probably I probably don't meet the skill level criteria, but I definitely like the time slot. <laughs> That's good stuff, man. All right. Well, listen, we're gonna let well, come you on down. Yeah, seriously, I will take you up on that invitation sometime, if nothing else, just to have the experience so uh, we can chat about it next time uh, you're on the air with it. Man, you always get me so excited. You know how excited I get for EBI week, and uh, I knew just talking to you uh, it was going to get me fired up. So Frank and I will be there Sunday, as per usual, if you'll have us. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on. Let's do it again, man. Sunday night, the Orpheum Theater once again. 6 p.m. Pacific is uh, the start time if you're watching on UFC Fight Pass. And you can also get tickets right now at ebiofficial.com if you're going to be in the L.A. area. Thanks again, man. I'll let you get to class. Thank you. We'll see you Sunday, okay? All right, man. Thank you, guys. See you Sunday. All right. See you, Eddie. There goes Eddie Bravo. Always gets me excited for EBI. It's it's really wouldn't you say, Frank? Uh, in uh, just the the short amount of time that we've been doing this, one of our, I mean, it is kind of one of our traditions. We make all the EBIs, right? I mean, in terms of things we do with regularity, we broadcast from No Regrets Bar in suburban Las Vegas once a month. We go to EBI Invitational once about every eight weeks, right? Yeah, so far, ever since the first one you introduced me to and brought me out there for their absolute tournament, and we got to see uh, Jordan Ryan make his first uh, real big main stage uh, stardom debut, and uh, since then, uh, we've been catching them on a regular and uh, Sunday will be no exception. Now, speaking of tradition. Are we going to have our one guy come join us again? 
was it uh, Matt from was it three eight eight or yeah from the the two eighty eight podcast? Maybe he'll be uh, maybe he'll be out uh, over there again this time. He needs to come by. The, we can uh, still table discuss how porn stars are not prostitutes. That's right. We he, he was. Uh, I don't agree with that uh, statement. But. Por, por, porno <laughs> porno Matt who uh, works in the biz, as they say, behind the scenes, behind the scenes. But he's got the two eighty eight podcast. I know he's a regular listener of ours, so we uh, we we always like to uh, support our listeners. So. Um, Speaking of tradition, uh, the Mirror family has a tradition of going to Disneyland for Halloween. Now, that's what you guys did this weekend. We're going to back up a second, though, before we get into that, because I was in L.A. as well this weekend. So you guys went to Disneyland on Sunday, but we met up on Saturday in a cemetery of all places, right? Yeah, it was a cool idea you had. You let me know that... uh because I did a seminar over there at uh, NAMFAM's uh, MMA Academy on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And you asked me, like, well, are you guys going to go to Disneyland Saturday? I'm like, no, just because I don't know how long the seminar is going to be. Uh, we won't buy tickets to go that day. We'll just wait till Sunday and Monday. And, you know, Mondays are, you know, traditional go to uh, Disneyland to do the whole trick-or-treating. I don't have to worry about any of my kids getting ran over in the street or right. <laughs> any other obnoxious people. Uh, and so um, you told me about the uh, Hollywood Cemetery does their... Uh, what was it, the Dia de los Muertos? Right. Uh, for all you non-Spanish-speaking uh, folks out there, that is Day of the Dead. And it's the long-standing, I don't know how many hundreds of years that goes back, but but the the the, the Mexicans do a thing where they, uh, you've seen like the sugar skulls, the very decorative. A very uh, Latin American culture, Latin. Yeah. Um, is it not just in Mexico? Because I don't know. I'm going to have to be dumb Hispanic guy. You're more Hispanic than me. Do you? No. Um, I thought it was a Latin community in yeah, general. Maybe I don't is, think maybe it's it just, not just Mexico. No, because I have friends from Guadalajara and, 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 and whatnot, that, uh, okay. El Salvador, that also seem to celebrate those holidays. And okay. uh, I think, it, again, it's a Latin culture. But, okay. I mean, day and age, and we have Wi-Fi and a Google. So That's we, right. All right. We'll, we'll find we'll, out real quick. We'll look that up. But you get the idea. It was a, a, a Day of the Dead celebration at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Now, uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery is or Bugsy the, Siegel was the, the permanent home of uh, Bugsy Siegel as well as uh, Marilyn, as well as uh, two Ramones, Johnny and Dee Dee. Marilyn Monroe not buried there. Oh, not that's there. a different cemetery. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille is there. Um, the Ramones uh, had nice spots. Yes, they did. Yeah, they absolutely did. And um, uh, anyway, there, there's a whole host of uh, Douglas Fairbanks uh, Sr. and Jr. buried there. There's a whole host of them over there. So Hollywood Forever Cemetery, for the longest time, has done uh, – they're a, they're a quirky uh, place to be buried. I mean, they do – during the summer, they have a, a movie series where they project movies against the side of the mausoleum, and people bring blankets and picnic baskets and stuff. And well, we were just walking – I was trying – I don't know. <laughs> be a little bit more respectful as much as I could. But when we were trying, for example, to get to, uh, was it one of the Ramon brothers, get to his uh, headstone? Yeah. You know, I was trying to make sure I didn't walk directly over someone's grave. Right. But everybody else is just standing there, and I'm like, hey, how would you like to be buried here? 
you know, you're basically just, you know, the the, uh, the walkway to get to yeah. a more famous or known, uh, uh, you know, commodity in the celebrity. I mean, you you pretty much have to understand that if you're going to be buried in Hollywood Forever Cemetery, that, that there's going to be a lot of recurring parties there. Yes. There's going to be uh, movie nights and there's going to be Day of the Dead festivals and probably some bands playing and, and, and all manner of things. So this was actually, I had been to the cemetery before actually to see a movie years back uh so i knew about it but I, this was my first day of the dead celebration so what happened was our initial plan was uh my girlfriend and i were going to we were, we were going to try to jump in on uh, disney with you guys but it, we had passed the deadline to get the tickets because you got to have special tickets right. for the, event. the halloween party close right? the park down to only the people that buy even if you're a season pass holder or yeah. buy a ticket that day yeah you have to have a separate ticket for to come in after i think uh they start pretty much was it three or four o'clock right. you have to have a wristband and you know then they start from the back of the park and basically don't let anybody on any rides that doesn't have a wristband and then mm -hmm. security slowly just starts making it to where it's kind of a, a very soft exit nudge yeah it's yeah. where it's like well you don't have to leave but then you got to stand over there yeah you know so then it becomes so inconvenient that everybody just decides to leave or you know get a wristband i see and we knew it was an official sellout because uh mrs mirror called up and tried to work her magic she tried to get us in i know how persuasive she can be so yeah. if, if she couldn't pull any strings then it must have been that a was... uh, a legitimate sellout so next year next year we'll do that but i thought okay well i got to come up with something creative because uh like your jennifer uh my jennifer is uh recognizes halloween as her favorite holiday so i, you know, I wanted to think of something fun and creative for us so i just happened to look up hollywood forever cemetery because i thought well they got to be doing something weird there and sure enough day of the dead celebration so uh we made our plans to go there so i i, I told you what we were doing you were doing the seminar at nam fans place by the way the nam fan the the uh former ufc fighter nam fan in case people were thought they recognized the name from the ultimate fighter and all that how'd the seminar go oh, awesome we had probably about 40 45 people there. Mm -hmm. Um, I posted a picture on my uh, social media so you can see through, mm -hmm. and um, it was great. You know, everybody. I went through my whole MMA, uh, you know, uh, instructional, and actually, I got. You know, I, I still haven't learned how to cram into what I want to talk about all in two hours. So mm -hmm. I always go over, and some of the people had to leave. What you got a little? You're a little wordy in the yeah, seminars. Long-winded, and I have all these oh. concepts I want to try to get through. And, <laughs> So uh, I'm always, yeah. I always run long. No one can ever uh, criticize me for jipping them on no, a seminar. No, you know what? I said that. I said that to Jennifer when you had texted and said because we we're meeting up, and you were like, you know, hey, we just got done with the seminar, and I I said this to her after uh, I put the phone down. I said, you know what? You get your money's worth with one of those Frank Mir seminars. I mean, that's a that's a good half day. It looks like right yeah, there before the I whole thing. I think on average, I always go about three hours of teaching, and then mm -hmm. it's an extra hour to do photos and mm -hmm. autographs and whatnot. Yeah. Did you uh, let everybody know you got a little podcast? I did. Good. Uh, good. Jennifer stood there right by me, <laughs> passing yeah. out because I bring my own autograph cards. Yep. You know something mm -hmm. that you know, you know most gyms aren't going to provide that or anything for people, and understandably. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I try to you know bring as much. People are going to show up. I want to make it as a complete experience as possible. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as I was, you know, signing, you know, asking names, and I would then hand the uh, uh, autograph to my wife who would then stack the, you know, uh, our 
phone booth fighting card yeah, and then nice. hand it back to our, you know, to whichever uh, guest, you know, had very came up nice. for it. Quality assist from Mrs. Mir yes. there. I appreciate that. So the seminar wraps and uh, we got uh, the the fe- the Day of the Dead festival was noon to midnight. So we got there and part of the experience, if you're so inclined, is to dress in the uh, the traditional garb. So we kind of put some outfits yeah, you together. You guys look good. Thank you. Well, fortunately for me, I look half dead all the time anyway. I mean, that everything I was wearing You're was something out of my like closet. You make it look like something you could be wearing all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute, that wasn't your normal clothing? No, it was. Oh, yeah, was all saying. that stuff was straight out of my closet. <laughs> By the way, quick aside, do you know that uh, on on Halloween, on Monday, I stopped at Walgreens on the way into the brothel? Not in costume, by the way, okay? And at, at, at the register, the uh, cashier said to me, oh, you look really good. And at first, I didn't get I was like, oh, thank, thank you. you, I think. Are you, I've been rolling. Yeah, yeah you hitting building. on me? What are we doing here? <laughs> and she goes, she goes, no, you look really good, your costume. And I was like, oh. Did you ask her what you were? You. Like, can you guess what I'm dressed no, as? No, I just thanked her and moved on. But I was just <laughs> in my everyday attire. <laughs> so anyway, Day of the Dead, um, I had uh, I had all the clothes. And uh, Jennifer made a cool little black veil for herself and all this. And then uh, we got there and we did the face painting because they have, and this is not like uh, like school carnival face painting. I mean, this is... You can attest to this. You saw it's like serious. Did serious you post a picture on our phone booth? You know what? I did not. But here's what I will do. I will do that uh, to go to as a companion for the podcast, so yeah. people can understand what we're talking about. Actually, you know what? I did post a photo of you and I at Dee Dee Ramone's grave, so they saw my makeup. Okay. But this was. Uh, but they didn't realize you were in makeup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this was. Uh, uh, I mean, the 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 face painting. They're like it was almost like uh, like tattoo artists. Like the where we got it done. We were waiting in a in a line, and they, you know, it takes a good probably twenty minutes to do it because they do it all uh, freehand. And one of the one of the the artists there was actually uh, working on appointments. Like she had had people who had booked appointments days or weeks in advance. And again, like a like a well known tattoo artist was just. Uh, uh, doing her uh, her face painting. So anyway, we got we got that done. That now made me upset that we didn't plan ahead for that. No, next yeah. year we'll have it done because between your wife and mine, uh, we got the face painting covered. Because you know you know that Mrs. Mayor, she worked for Mac for six years. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. No. Um, oh, okay. Well, it's because when I first moved her to Vegas, mm-hmm. she used to complain that she didn't get to meet anybody besides other people in the gym. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> So it was one of those things like, give me, let me get a job so I can be social. I'm like, all right, whatever, you can work. Mm. Uh, as chauvinistic as that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I'm old-fashioned. You can work at the makeup counter. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, you know, there's there's uh, benefits to being with a chauvinistic male as I am, can be at times. Is that yeah. I, I fully uh, intend to make sure that my wife never has to work, you know? Yeah. Hey, to me, that just sounds like free eyeliner. I'd be down for that. Yeah. So. Well, no, I think she ended up, anything she ended up making, she spent more than Oh, than, right, right. Uh, it never made it out of the mall no. or wherever the store was. She's like, I get a 40% discount. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, right. that just means I'm getting 40% more makeup. It doesn't mean I'm getting a discount. <laughs> yeah. And so she worked there for quite a few years until the kids started getting a little bit older and uh you know then ronan was born and i was like mm. eh, no you yeah know. 
it's too hard for me to train and come home and directly start changing diapers and waking up in the middle of the night. So well, good. Well, that next year. Uh, so the that, makeup thing will have handled. Yeah, that'll come in handy no because lines. because when when the, because with the mirrors you got a lot of faces to cover there. Like we even tried to once you guys got there tried to get in the face painting line for the kids and it was just too backed up at that point. No. So you guys. So it so, was funny though. There was a lot of guys standing in line to get their face painted. Yeah. I'm like looking for daughters and stuff like, all right, well, I mean, I'm going to do it because I have my kids here, mm -hmm. but I mean, I'm looking around, I'm looking around I'm like, why is this guy standing? And then the other boyfriend walks up next to him and they start holding hands. I'm like, oh, that's why you're standing in line. <laughs> Get your face painted. Right. Get the little ruby on the forehead. I'm all, somehow I, that wasn't what I was expecting. Yeah. So you guys, so you had to come, first of all, typical LA drive. I mean, did you have to cut across the city? To do that, it wasn't exactly well, conveniently yeah, located. Yeah, no, not for us, because well, when we first, uh, we were staying real close to uh, Hyatt by the uh, NamFam's Academy, yeah. uh, right there by in near Disneyland, too, before we transferred over to the Grand, uh, Disneyland, uh, Grand California. And um, when when I got done with the seminar, we all went back and showered, and it was like 4 o'clock. It wasn't until 5.30 when we finally pulled up. And then it took us 20 minutes once we got off the freeway. I think that was at Santa Monica Boulevard. Yeah. And it took us a good 20 minutes just to traverse that. Uh, uh, people that I had passed getting off the freeway that were on foot were walking past us like a mile down. I'm like, this? Because yeah. at first when we were down at the beach, my wife's like, ah, California's so great. And then after a few hours in traffic, I'm like, we could never live here. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, my, my friends that live in L.A., I mean, it's like a battle plan. So when, when I'm there and when we go there pretty regularly, uh, you know, sometimes things are convenient, but other times I'll say, okay, I got to get from this place to that place. And the first thing they do is they go, what time, what time of day? And you tell them, and man, if it's at the wrong time of day, I mean, they're, they're laying out like, uh, uh, blueprints and schematics and yeah. there's a, a software program to calculate uh, the best best route yeah, to if get you get off of the, if you get road rage at all southern <laughs> california is not your yeah. spot man no not at all so so you guys took you a while to to get over there we'd already gotten there and done the the face painting and everything and i have to say i was so um uh it, it's interesting to me normally frank when as people get to know me and i start uh, peeling off the the layers of this onion and you start to see when things get more and more eccentric a lot of times that's a turn off to people i'm 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 uh i'm pleasantly surprised to see that you're you're in for the long haul in this friendship that things like this amuse you or entertain you because uh you know i mean i think it's a cool idea and i, I thought it would be fun and everything ah. but I, and i told jennifer you were coming and everything and i i just said uh after we were done i said Man, i'm really glad everybody had such a such a good time doing that because it really was like a lot of fun as crazy as you would think spending an evening in a cemetery would be it was very festive well i was worried at first that the kids would be a little bugged out yep you know uh, i think most humans are very uncomfortable with the prospect of uh mortality and right the eventual uh situation that we're all going to no, face i'm not looking forward to it no you know i think we all want to prolong our quality of life as much as we can here here not the quantity right <laughs> But uh, that being said, they were actually okay with it, you know? I, yeah. mean, I think that's just because I've always been pretty much a straight shooter with my children whenever they ask questions, even hard questions. Uh, I don't make up answers. I might uh, 
I might cater them or tailor them according to the the the, the age that they're in. You know, mm-hmm. for example, too, you know, if someone who doesn't know about MMA asks me about a particular move, mm-hmm. I can describe it to them if they have no experience in, in martial arts mm. differently than I would explain it to you. And then even more differently than I would explain it to Drysdale. Yeah. You know, you have to realize what experience of who you're explaining to, but you don't have to bullshit people. You don't have to make up an answer. I don't think, uh, you just have to, you know, you know, obviously, uh, my daughter's 13 and, you know, talks of inappropriate touching and, you know, bad guys and that type of situation of, you know, uh, appropriateness, um, but there's obviously a different way I would discuss things with her than I do with, you know, someone who's 18, 19 years old or somebody who's 40 years old with several kids. Uh uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm glad that, you know, they asked a few questions, you know, like, so there are dead bodies there. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, they died. Like, yeah. How? Well, everybody dies different ways. And I liked it when you, you first came in and your son Cage looks around and he says, this is like Disneyland for dead people. <laughs> Like it looked like everybody was having a good time. So, uh, and, and, uh, so, so we're walking, uh, around the cemetery and there's like food concessions and there's bands playing. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of Mexican artists that I didn't recognize anybody's name, but, uh, they, they seemed awfully popular. They were certainly drawing big crowds and vendors. There were a lot of vendors who were doing like hand painted skeletons and ceremonial things and paintings and no, stuff it's definitely like that. on the list from now on. Yeah. The Mirror Hunter uh, gathering. That's Well, see, here's the plan. See, I figure if they do this on, like, the Saturday, you do this as your precursor to Disneyland, yes. and then you just jump over to yeah. Disneyland. I think next year the, is, is Halloween going to be on a Tuesday. I, think the I don't know. Is, Boy, I love it. You guys are always looking at, already looking oh, at yeah, no, You know we, when Halloween is, yeah. Well, because we try to uh, get the whole family together and yeah. make it a... Uh, uh, you know, a family event like this year for Disneyland, uh, we all went as a Star Wars theme. So. That's I saw the picture when you went to Disneyland. That was cool. It shows you I'm I'm gonna date myself here because when I look at the Star Wars picture, I immediately uh, don't recognize half the characters, and that's because they're from the new film. Like I'm like, okay, that's so Chewbacca. You haven't shot a new one yet. What's that? So you haven't caught the new film? Yet. No, I've seen them. I just don't instantly recognize oh, okay. it. Like I recognized you as Han Solo, Jennifer as Princess Leia, little uh, Braden was Chewbacca. Yep. But then there were some newer, younger. Yeah. Well, Cage ones. was Kylo Ren. Yeah. See, I don't ben know that. Ben Solo, who yeah. is my son, Han Solo's son. Okay. Who? Well, if anybody hasn't seen the show, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ends up killing him. So it's kind of funny, you know. That, yeah. I saw the movies. I just didn't realize. I haven't committed the names to memory and figured uh, out. And then the Cage newer was a, Ronan was a, a, a stormtrooper, but I think that I have to go back because someone had asked me. I'm like, I don't know, because according to the mask, we can find out which generation of stormtrooper he oh, was in. I see. So I think he was the uh, you know the order of you know the Knights of Ren, yeah. which is the uh, the newer ones that just came out from the first watch. I think it is. Or? Okay. Okay. I see. First well, order. Anyway, first it, order. The picture looked great. And uh, I was like, "Yep, next year uh, we we went in on that." So, so uh, you gonna do the same theme as us? Or? Oh, of course, nice. Yeah, there we go. Whatever you're uh, you're in for. Um, I think we're actually gonna go traditional Latin uh, dress up. Okay, okay. Like uh, when you say tr- like like the Day of the Dead yeah. type thing. Okay, perfect. Then I think I'll that's just, gonna be our theme for next year. I'll just keep my face painted from the yeah, day before. Because this year was so difficult with Disneyland going in because. You know, the, the kids, you know, I had to walk all the way back up to my home, uh, my hotel room because K- 
cage or Ronan's blaster, which was painted, it's plastic, white plastic and orange plastic. Yeah. They said you can't bring guns or anything that resembles yeah. a gun. And I had looked at the, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, cause problems. So I looked in the online and they said, you know, if you're going to bring any type of uh, uh, props, you know, costume, you know, it can't resemble real firearms. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at our guns that are obviously laser futuristic zap guns. I'm like, all right, well, these don't look anything like a real gun. And mm-hmm. They notified me that no, pretty much anything with a trigger. I'm like, oh, okay. Why did you just say that on the website? Now I got to walk back 20 minutes back to the hotel. Room. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, you should no said, masks, so the kids couldn't put their masks on their face. Yeah, you know, uh, you should have said when they said, yeah, nothing, nothing with the trigger. You should have said, well, what am I going to do about my temper? <laughs> um, yeah, well, it, it, well, and also too, it was kind of a joke as far as how they went through. Like I'm looking at and I'm watching uh, their uh, their inspection. I'm, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, well, this is stupid. Like, who? Anybody who works for Disney? Here you go. Anybody who wanted to carry a gun or a knife in a Disney easily could have done it, mm. because you walk through and first they check your bag, right? So, boom, you look at your bag. Then they give you back your bag. You already see the problem in that, right? Yes. Right. So then I walk up to the metal detector with the bag, and anything that was in my pockets that they haven't checked yet, oh, I could just throw could inside my bag. Put it in the bag, yeah. Very easily. Yeah. And then put my bag on the table. Right. Walk through the metal detector and grab said gun or knife or whatever implement they thought that they were avoiding me from having. So it's one of those things where security is more of a, a state of mind where it's like, well, everybody's going to think that they're safe here, but it's not. It's well, just causing long lines and inconvenience. And that's what they get for putting Goofy in charge of park security. They should have Donald Duck. I felt he'd have been more serious. That's right. Probably, angry. probably so. They, um, if we get, before we jump to Disney real quick, just to put a wrap on uh, Day of the Dead the day before, there was a couple other interesting things I wanted to mention. Uh, so one, it it is as 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 much of a, um, uh, a of a positive environment as as I believe. Uh, growing up mirror is, and I've told you this, I think this would be a great place to be a kid and grow up and feel all the family love and everything. It is concerning me that none of the kids seem to be particularly familiar with who the Ramones are. So that's <laughs> going to be my contribution. You have to help them out. Well, you I'm, brought over the electric uh, amp. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're going to start uh, jamming here at the house, and we're going to start with the Ramones. And I did like how when I was given my – I gave a Ramones seminar at the cemetery, and Frank was like, all right, kids, gather around. Gather around. Everybody get in where you oh, can Oh, you started talking. like, all right, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Got to explain. Uncle Hunter's about that's to right. talk. Got to explain who Johnny is, why Dee Dee is the most important of all the Ramones, and uh, that sort of thing. So we're going to be – uh, we're going to be covering that material in my seminar, but I, I also found it amusing when we went to the mausoleum. They have several mausoleums at Hollywood. By the way, they have a website, a very cool interactive website, if you look up Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Uh, what, the video? I think the video is working, but I don't see any new comments. Oh, somebody says frozen here. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, we've only, uh, you know, probably what's happening is because we're broadcasting in HD, this may be freezing on people's feeds. Like ours is smooth, but uh, you've got the Frank at, Frank Mir kick-ass internet connection, so that might be helping things out. The fact that because you can see we're streaming. Yeah, I, I see that on our yeah. side. Uh, so we go into the the mausoleum, and there's a you can see all this online if you go to uh, the Hollywood Forever Cemetery website. Just Google it, and you'll you'll be able to follow along with what we're talking about. They have a very cool website, but they have a number of mausoleums there, and we go into one that's got. Probably the first mausoleum on the property because most of the people in there had died around 1920. 
Yeah. And uh, some even before the uh, the uh, 19th, you know, right there before the 20th century. Yeah. There's a couple yeah. that were actually 18 something. You know? Right. So we're we're walking through there and we're looking at all the uh, all the markers. And Frank goes, he goes, okay, uh, let's see. Here's uh, here's 1920. Wait a second. Okay, Bella's got 1918. Does anybody have earlier than that? You know and, why I uh, did that, right? No. They were parenting a little psychology trick. Yeah. The kids were getting a little antsy in line and trying right. to push each other. Oh. So diversion, sleight of hand. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I got a 1938. Has anybody oh. found anybody born or 1838? Oh. Older than that. And then all of a sudden the kids went from trying to dominate each other to oh, now like, they had a different way of competing with each I other. I see. Well, it, 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 when, when, when you did it, uh, Jennifer said to me, she goes, only a mere family outing could to a cemetery could get competitive. <laughs> so, uh, so everybody had a good time. Now you guys had to uh, you guys had to bail because uh, not bail uh, too early, but but we didn't want to make it too late of a night because you guys had to get started at Disney the next day. So we talked about the costumes. You guys go with the Star Wars theme and getting into the park and all that sort of thing. All right, paint the picture for me after you're in the park and what's different about Disneyland on Halloween as opposed to Disneyland any other day. How does it work? Well, one of the biggest things is that uh, actually the characters they have out, usually what they do is normally where you would see Mickey Mouse or Goofy or Donald walking around or maybe one of the uh, princesses. Or, mm -hmm. um, what they do is they do all the villains. So now you can see Maleficent or, or uh, you know, the... The, the wicked stepmother and Snow White uh, mm. walking around, and they'll do pictures, and they stay in character. It's pretty cool because, you know, if they're a bad guy, you know, like Cruella Deville, uh -huh. uh, you know, she's obviously a, a villain. Um, it isn't like they're walking around smiling and taking pictures of the kids, like, oh, okay, whatever. And they stay uh, within character of, of obviously not being rude or mean, yeah. but to the point to where it's humorous that they still stay within that, like, if you insist, small little puppy, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, and stay within that realm of, and then do the photos. And then, like I said, well, they have tons of candy. I mean, uh, <laughs> pretty much, what do they say they guarantee? Like, I mean, you walk around and you do the different stands, you get about eight pounds of candy each kid. So that's probably heavier than some of the kids. Yeah, that's getting close. So. Wow. But I like it just because, you know, I know that there's a lot of uh, uh, urban myths behind people, uh, you know, endangering candy and, and whatnot. And, and actually the percentages are extremely low when mm -hmm. it comes down to it. I think actually there's a guy in Texas that tried to kill his own kids and poisoned their little... Uh, little sugar things that come in a straw right you know the pixie sticks pixie that, stick that was me that was actually the family i left behind before i moved you did, so you don't know his, his kid died me. of like you know yeah. uh, uh, was it was it uh, arsenic arsenic yeah and yeah. then um, they found out they traced it to the candy and found out that it was actually the dad that put it in there mm. but you know that being you know the situation you know you still you know it's kind of nice not to have to go and check every piece of candy True. And, and also uh, you know one thing that always makes me nervous is that you know when you're walking up and down the neighborhood you know people are out driving and not everybody's as conscious of of uh kids as uh as you would like them to be and yep. you know they're flying down residential areas going 35 40 miles an hour and you know a 25 mile an hour zone and you know kids are going to be kids and oh look at that house and they bolt out and i'm trying to watch all my kids and keep everybody safe and mm -hmm. i like the fact that once we step in there i know that i don't have to worry about uh, vehicles mm -hmm. which to me is one of the most dangerous thing on halloween night everybody's wearing masks they can't see well and you know, and you know, accidents happen, and you know, it's a safety thing. So I feel more comfortable there with the kids, and they can enjoy themselves. And I'm a lot more, uh, 
responsive when I'm in company. My wife hates it when we go somewhere. And if I'm on high alert, you know, uh, I'm not fun to be around because now I'm worried about, okay, well, you know, watching the kids and who's coming yeah. near us and what's going on. And, you know, it's code yellow, you know? <laughs> yeah. She's like, why aren't you talking? I'm like, because we're out in public and there's too many people around and I can't, you know, I'm trying to keep an eye on all the kids and what's going on. And, you know, so then uh, she likes to try to book things that she knows that I can kind of relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it uh, it does seem like it would have that kind of controlled environment, almost like a on a much bigger scale. The same reason you would take kids like to the mall to trick or treat or something yeah. like that. It's still kind of a control contained environment. That sounds uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Now, was there? Uh, are you able to ride the rides just as you would any other time? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you uh, can still ride the rides. They're mm-hmm. still available to you. Um, and some are easier to get on than others. Some of the ones, like you know, the Haunted Mansion, Space Mountain, are, are themed for yeah. Halloween time. Okay. And so those lines are still just as long as they would be at any other time. But uh, the other ones, you know, Autotopia, for example, the kids love to do. So you know, it's a five minute wait. We jump mm-hmm. on there and we just ran through the line several times. Mm-hmm. Did you ride the Tower of Terror? It's going away, you know. Yep, we did that Sunday with uh, when we were on tour. Yeah. So I, you know, I just made my first trip to Disneyland for my birthday in September, and I'm already upset about this decision to do away with the Tower of Terror. And I saw Me too. I saw our friends over at uh, Fighter and the Kid. Brendan Schaub and Brian Callen have taken this position as well. It was only a few weeks after that that Brendan was out there and uh, was photographed looking very uh, displeased outside of Tower of Terror. He said it was his favorite ride since he was a kid and did not like the fact that it was going away. It To me, I liked it because it was just the most awesome beginning-to-end setup, like the whole facade of it and the set they've got built and the the old hotel and all you you re, of, of all the rides that we it starts really at the entrance once nah, you walk that's in. what i'm saying of all the rides that i rode at disneyland that day to me it was the best example of the one where you don't know really where the ride begins you know like even when you're standing outside the elevator waiting to get on because it's like you're in this old hotel. Yeah, there's all kinds of things to watch and look over. And And I'd never, see, I'd never ridden it before, so I really didn't even understand until we got in and sat down in seats in in a car that, okay, now maybe the ride's about to start. I mean, for all I knew, the elevator doors were going to open and the ride started. You know, I really didn't didn't, uh, know. Didn't know what you're getting into. Yeah, well, I'm glad I got to ride it once. No, did you do it? We actually watched all the... uh, or did you do, uh, what do they call it? Well, that's what we just did this last time. Uh, nighttime or something? Night out? I don't know what that is. Basically, you know how like you saw uh, the movie or it set up a screen and it shows you know the, the guy from Twilight Zone speaking? Yes, and, Rod Serling. We right? saw that. And then you mm-hmm. see the characters get on there and they're waving goodbye and they get electrocuted? Hmm. I think we saw that, okay. yeah. Well, when we did it, we had them black it out. Well, it was only me and my family on the... Uh-huh. Uh, on the on the ride oh, okay and so it's just us and we're on there and then they they blacked it out for us so when we went through no one's talking so you go through the ride yeah where they're speaking but there's no visual okay so you just it's completely in the dark until it goes to the very top and you can actually the doors open makes it creepier oh it does <laughs> oh okay yeah oh. because now i mean you're in pitch black yeah. and all of a sudden the elevator falls yeah know? right do you do you request that is that how it works i don't know how that works for okay uh, maybe it was just maybe it just wasn't working no i mean we we were given the opportunity <laughs> to ask either way oh, but that's because okay. we were in the back and oh know. 
Oh, well. I don't know how that works if you stand in line because I mean you're there with other people. And yeah. I don't know if you take a consensus or if okay. it's after a certain time they do it that way. Huh. Or. Interesting. Well, um, sorry we missed it this year. We won't miss it uh, next year. Disneyland is definitely on our uh, on our radar for a Halloween excursion. So I was, I was glad we got to uh, spend a little time together and do something that we could uh, share with phone booth fighting listeners uh, for Halloween. So I hope everybody else had a really good Halloween too. We we actually my neighborhood uh, is is uh, has a lot of kids and trick-or-treaters and stuff like that so uh monday night proper for halloween i mean we sat on the front porch and handed out we went through two giant bags of candy did you get the teenagers that don't dress up to just run around and get candy we got a couple of older kids but they were costumes well, i don't care you yeah, can be 50 that. years old if yeah. you're wearing a costume you can trick-or-treat yeah i only sometimes have an attitude and i won't hand out in the past before when we used to do that yeah i refuse to give candy to people that don't wear a costume yeah. you know, if you're an adult and you're not going to wear a costume unless you're trick-or-treating and i can see your small child next to you but if yeah. you're some teenager that just thinks it's fun to go and get free candy it's like nah, you know you didn't take the time to put on a costume i'm yep. not going to take the time to give you candy no that's right you got to put uh, got to put forth some effort so uh, that was uh, Monday night, and that was our uh, Halloween evening. And it was nice to kind of, for I mean, as much as we would have liked to have been at Disneyland, it was also cool because this was, I was actually in my house here in Vegas last year for Halloween too, but I think we went out later that evening, so we weren't there the whole time. It was just kind of cool to see. I mean, I, I guess I didn't realize that, that scenarios like that even existed anymore. It was like kind of like being a kid again. You know, I was like, wow, I'm an adult. I'm living in a neighborhood that actually has Halloween with kids that are going door to door and you know there's kind of a communal neighborhood vibe plus we did a lot of decorating on our house and stuff like that so uh that was kind of cool to uh to uh to you know be recognized as one of the more decorated houses and uh and things like that oh your house was real decorated yeah we did we did some decorating you know who you got to check out next year if uh Obviously, we'll be in Disneyland for Halloween, yeah. but before we leave, uh, Damon, you know, uh, the kids' baseball yep. coach, mm -hmm. uh, he goes all out. Like, you think Mrs. Mir on the inside? Oh, yeah. Think about that as far as the outside of the house. Oh, okay. He has uh, this last year, this year, he had the, um, you know, you can buy the projectors and yes. project, you know, different like ghosts and demons on your windows. And so that way it looks like there's a, you know, a witch in your window and right. he does the whole, he does like a mini haunted house and the kids from the neighborhood can come through and they walk through his little house starting in the garage and, you know. Wow. Yeah, he really goes all out. Well, you know, he's a phone booth fighting listener. Maybe what we should do for next year is we should have a phone booth fighting listener Halloween decoration contest. Like we could get people oh, to post photos yeah. and videos on our social media. We could pick well, a winner. costume too. Yeah, costume contest. Maybe we'll family theme, the best family theme. Yeah, with the mirrors. I like it. We'll give away a prize. There we'll give go. away some prizes. All right, we'll do that uh, for next year. Oh, here comes Bella with some real water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com. Nice to have those guys uh, on board with us, as always, keeping us hydrated. All right, so, Frank, a uh, couple of – we're going to get to a couple of um, listener emails here in a minute. But uh, first, I wanted to ask you, you proposed an idea uh, to me a couple of days ago that we go vote together. Have yes. you voted yet? I have not yet. Should we go vote together? Yeah, let's do this. Can we do that? Do you want to do it? Uh, can you do it tomorrow morning? 
Yeah, tomorrow or Friday morning, whichever is better for you. Okay, all right. One of those two, we'll figure it out. We're going to go vote together. It's going to be a show outing. This was Frank's idea, and I uh, thought it would give us uh, something to discuss Because you're voting show. for Trump, right? Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm with her. Uh, and, <laughs> That's a good one, I'm with her. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, this one is going to be so interesting. I mean, I, I you've heard me talk about this with Chell Sun, and I love – to me, the only sports that I always say I the only sports that I enjoy I need the constant threat of total incapacitation for me to enjoy a sport. So that leaves me uh, MMA and politics, and uh, I, I love I love me some politics. I have my whole life I've grown up with it, but this year is affecting me like like none other because um, I had always thought that you know knowledge of policy was basically the price of admission to politics you know you gotta you you have to know the basics and then uh you can start debating who has more charisma and who's more likable and who looks better on television like you know like kennedy nixon i mean one was a lot more handsome than the other but you couldn't argue that either you know one wasn't of them that did the first not debate know that was televised sure was. yes it was i remember watching a, th- yep. a special on that talking and about thought to be very impactful because of it because nixon was kind of clammy and sweaty mm-hmm. looking and yeah yeah here you have the you know the handsome guy the young guy right. the dashing guy but both of them uh, albeit you know philosophical opposites because yeah, uh, people that listened to that one didn't they think nixon won they, people yeah, that watched the, it that's the 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 word. Uh, you're absolutely right. And so, uh, and this year's different than that. And um, so, Tuesday night's going to be a tense one for me. I, you know, I I had thought about, well, am I going to do, you know, uh, election results watching party? Because you know, my brothel boss, Dennis Hoff, is running for an assembly seat in rural Nevada, and I've been involved in his campaign quite a bit. So, I was thinking, well, am I going to, you know, do Let's some- run for office? You want to? I think we could do this. You want to be my campaign manager, and I'll go ahead and run for a councilman. Uh, yeah, Let's absolutely. Do <laughs> yeah, I think. Okay, so the first thing we're going to want to do is uh, what we refer to in politics as inoculation. Uh, that's where any of the 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 sorted, seedy, negative stuff that can be used against you, we get it all out ourselves right away. So that'll be like the first three months of so the campaign. So basically, Mrs. Mears has to come out and bitch on public about it's me. It's going to take forever. This mofo yeah. doesn't fucking do his own dishes. Right. <laughs> oh, we'll be lucky if that's the negative campaign ad they run. I'm pretty yeah. boring, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll get all that uh, out of the way. Yeah, I like the idea. This is actually the first year that you are old enough to run for president, by the way. Oh, is it now? Yeah, you oh, have 35, to be, right? Yeah, you got to be 35. Uh, natural born citizen, never uh, convicted of a felony. And so I've, far, we're good. And I believe never declared criminally insane. I think is there's some other qualification. Not, not like officially. That. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So so far, you're you're good. If you can hold it together for another four years, uh, you can run against whoever wins this thing Tuesday night. But um, no, man, I we'll we'll go vote together, and then Tuesday night. I think what I'm going to do, if hopefully what happens is it's an early night uh, for, for, for my sake. <laughs> hopefully what happens is, because we're out here on the West Coast. Just how you were hoping the Cubs were going to lose just for the sake Yes, I I have no interest in baseball. By the way, we just saw Obviously, the Cubs uh, win the I'm World Series. I'm much more Republican than I am Democratic. Yeah. But I really hope Trump pulls it off, just for the sake of just, I want to see. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Jim Jeffries has a great skit about that right now, or a great uh, joke about it in his latest special. He's like, uh, he's like uh, Jim Jeffries is very liberal, but he's like, you know, yeah, there's, a, there's a part of me that's just like, 
No, oh, fuck it. Let's just do it. Let's just see what happens. It'll be funny. Um, but yeah, I think Tuesday night, my plan is going to be. So hopefully, what happens is because the the polls on the East Coast will uh, will close at seven, which will be like four our time. Hopefully, for my sake, if uh, you know Trump loses Florida, uh, loses North Carolina then the outcome of the election will be uh, done by the time I'm, because I don't leave the brothel till about six. So it'd be nice if that whole thing's done. I'll just listen to satellite radio the whole way home and we'll just see if we can, we can run up the score, but I don't have, I, I, I'm not taking anything for granted. So my plan is to, uh, and I'm, I'm not typically a superstitious guy, Frank, but what I'm going to plan to do is Tuesday night if the election is still in question by the time I get home, I'm going to put on, you don't even know I have this. I've never told you this. I have a bathrobe from the bankrupt Trump Taj Mahal that belonged to Corey Haim. Do you know Corey yeah. Haim, the That's actor who OD'd? Right. I bought this robe in his estate sale. So this is a robe, a bathrobe from the bankrupt Trump Taj Mahal casino that actually belonged to Corey Haim. So it's got a lot of death and negativity associated with it. So I figure I'll just put on my robe, <laughs> pull the covers up over my or head. Or a lot of partying and good memories. Or that, yeah. You know, it depends on how you want to look at it. That's true. But I'm sure there's a lot of sword hookers and cocaine stories involved in that robe. There probably is. And that's all that before Corey Haim even got to it, I'll bet. <laughs> um, so I'm just, uh, you know, I, I don't know what Tuesday is uh, is going to hold for me, but uh, it's it's I'd, I'd like to get the presidential part of it out of the way early and then just start focusing on uh, whether or not uh, the Democrats can take the Senate, because that's going to be another game. Well, that's if Trump loses, I think that they're going to. I think the Republicans are going to take a beating. Yeah, probably, probably so. And I still would well, be interesting to get Chael's thoughts on this because he he thinks differently than I do. And he was saying, uh, of course, you know, the last time we talked to him, he said he thought Trump would win, but he wouldn't bet much on it. And that was before the Access Hollywood tape. So I'll be interested to get his take on it tomorrow night and see well, if then, anything has changed. I mean, it was looking bad there for a while, but now yep. with Hillary and her, the email a investigation. very rough week with uh, some more emails coming out. And that goddamn Anthony Weiner. Can you believe that uh, guy? What a dick. Rearing his head again. <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately for me. Your, your, your pun was more subtle. It was. I like that. Uh, rearing his head. I'm the more nuanced of the comedic duo. See, I wonder... Uh, when guy, see, okay, here's a, and it's funny because he's much older than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wasn't really dating during the time you can send dick pics. Yes. But still, what I know of women. Yeah, you were having to take like Polaroid photos and Most then women mail don't them. find penises attractive. I've never right. like closed the deal with a girl and like pulled my dick out and she's like, oh God, look at that. I can't wait to put it in my, you know what I mean? Like, I haven't spoken to a lot of women that find. Speak for yourself. Penises. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> yeah. On the, the the large, I feel that most women find penises pretty ugly, right? Uh, you know, uh, and so uh, I, I never understood the whole sending a picture of your penis to a girl. Like, yeah. I want to talk to one of my friends that's still single that does this, yes. and ask him, like, yo, w- what's your like hit ratio, like? For every 100 dick pics you send out, how many you know so-called bites do you get? You know, like I would assume the same thing as one who has never done that either. 
I, w- I would assume the same. To me, that's like it's like whistling at a girl when they walk by. Like, does that work? I mean, to me, you're going to, you know, the old, you'll catch more flies with honey analogy. Yeah. Like, don't you want to be a little charming and a little uh, mysterious and a little, you know, appear to have some depth to your yourself? That, to yeah, me, I is guess what that, you attracts know, also too, girls. I think the most successful hunts I've ever been on mm-hmm. have been when the girl kind of gives you a clue first. Like, I, I believe that the right. man has to, you know, make the first move, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that's just, you know, I don't think women really uh, admire a coward. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to sit there and go, well, I didn't know you really liked me. But I think women are pretty good about giving nonverbal communication. And, you know, I can look over and go, hey, that girl's digging me. Yeah. You know, through you know, not necessarily through what her, her speech is. Uh, she doesn't come out and say, I think you're hot. But, you know, you could tell through the, you know, the way they're touching their hair, biting their lips, the eye contact, you know, the, the way they're laughing. It's like, oh, okay, she's digging me. Mm-hmm. I'll make the first move. I'll go in. And, right. you know, but uh, the uh, the blanket dick pics being sent out, I, I don't get it. So this guy Wiener, I mean, how many times? And his wife's a decent looking girl, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know. Ooh, she's successful. Hey, I'm partial towards the black hair. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Actually, looks like she has her shit together. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I gotta show you this video I found online, and I sent it to my wife. Like I was going through a chart mm-hmm. of uh, women of one through ten on looks, mm-hmm. and then one through ten on craziness. Mm. But on the craziness, oh, they start this. at four. Yeah, because <laughs> they talked about like a ten that was less than a four. It goes that's a unicorn, or yes. <laughs> or it's a man. <laughs> Well, if you're interested at some point. Well, so Wiener is sending his Wiener dick pics. Yeah. Now has the laptop uh, confiscated and FBI is investigating it. When I told you why we were in the kitchen watching the finale of the finish of the Cubs game, mm-hmm. my theory on it is the reason why they're not being very uh, open on what's actually on there. I think finally now they're actually seeing some of the deleted emails because whatever she deleted on her end, that doesn't mean people deleted on the other end. Correct. So I think now they're able to actually look through and see. It's like, okay, well, she deleted it. Let's see why. Yeah. And read through it. And I think until they get through them, there really is no conclusion on what's going on. True. I don't know that it means anything one way or another as far as uh, whether there's anything compelling on there. You're absolutely right. I think a bunch of them are going to be duplicates because it's it's the other end of a lot of those conversations that they've already seen. Right. It doesn't mean they'll all be duplicates, but a good number of them probably will be. I think this was more... Uh, uh, James Comey's, uh, the director of the FBI's, kind of make good after he got a lot of heat from the right for not recommending further criminal investigation on Hillary Clinton. This was kind of the make good on that, but the timing is uh, is is well, not not good. It's going to go down as a historical move on the FBI's part because, it will be. as far as I've, I'm aware, since the uh, the creation of the FBI. Um, they've kind of kept a uh, nonpartisan type of approach towards politics, right? They're not really supposed to try to mm. intervene or, you know, influence an election either way. No, and, and you know, really not since, I mean, that there there was a real shadow cast over the FBI and a long one at that one when, when uh, J. Edgar Hoover was its director because he was known to, ex, you know, carry out vendettas on political enemies and things like well, that. That's right. But, Didn't he have pictures of uh, Eleanor? Or not pictures, but 
taped uh, of her being with, you know, because it wasn't there. He uh, did with Martin Luther King. I don't know about Eleanor. You're talking about Eleanor Roosevelt? Right, because wasn't, wasn't she suspected of being a lesbian? Yes. And I think he had proof on it. Okay. I, I don't know so much about that. I know a lot about the, the Martin Luther King well, situation. Well, he had many mistresses on the side. Right, right. And, and it, but even then, that was not, and of course, a lot of it was probably, you know, because it was pre-internet and all that and pre-24-hour news cycle, but that stuff was not known. You know, that was at least operating behind the scenes. I mean, this is really a, an unprecedented situation. All that concerns me about it, and listen, if, if somebody's, uh, you know, partisan politics aside, I mean, if, well, if it if, came out that she did something illegal, would you change your vote? Um, no. would I change? Well, hold on a second. Would I change my vote? Let's if say, she did something let's illegal, say they found out that she knew. I mean, if it was hands down, she knew that Benghazi needed to have extra protection, and she, you know, oh, possibly I would. Yes, I mean, I want to see what what it is we're talking about. Because she yeah. denies ever receiving any correspondence of of the need of extra security or, or whatnot. Yes, I mean, if you could prove, so this whole trustworthiness business, I I don't I don't get any of that because I would never trust a politician to begin with. So I don't like this idea of, well, so-and-so seems more trustworthy than this other one. Now, that being said, if someone's caught blatantly lying, like kind of what you just said, and lying about something very, very serious, then yeah, I would possibly change my vote. I'd need to see. But I'd need to see what that circumstance is. See what I mean? Right. So if it's, if it's she says that, you know... I don't know. I'm trying to think of a lesser example of what that would be because you you got a pretty extreme example there. Um, but no, it would matter to me. And and I'm no listen. She's my consolation prize to begin with. I mean, I there's as a as a true liberal, I don't I don't get a, a contestant in the finals here. My guy was uh, was Bernie Sanders, and and he's already wrapped up. He's already been eliminated. So uh, this now, when is, you say liberal, mm-hmm. and you keep saying no one's really far left enough for you. Right. I was watching a uh, a thing where I was talking about. Or when I was listening, where, where did I get this information from? Anyways, they were doing a breakdown on the mm-hmm. different. Uh, uh, politicians now you know in dc and basically like 20 years ago it was like you know a very decent percentage because they went off of their voting were considered moderates and yes. now they went through and they found out there's like four yeah you know like everybody's even much hard line right or hard line left and you don't really have anybody in the middle but um, you, but you don't consider hillary or, or, or obama leftist enough for you no and and i don't consider people like mitt romney or john mccain particularly far to the right um people like uh uh ted cruz are far to the right i mean tea party is far to the right establishment republican is much more right of center so my position is this that that uh the country has not elected an actual liberal to president since Franklin Roosevelt. And that was actually, I think, the last time... JFK wasn't a liberal? No. No, JFK would have a lot more in common these days with mm, Ronald Reagan, probably, than he would somebody Mm. like uh, uh, Mike Dukakis. Now, Now, it's not that the Democrats haven't nominated a liberal. Mike Dukakis was pretty liberal, but of course he lost the election in a landslide. So a liberal has not been uh, elected, in my opinion, since FDR. But the other thing that hasn't happened since FDR, if, if you follow, and, and regardless of whether or not you think the, the nation should head in a more conservative or more liberal direction, 
the fact that people get impatient with changes of direction and they're just constantly changing course every four to eight years that's the biggest reason why nothing ever really changes for the long haul so if you go so so roosevelt fdr served four terms he died during his fourth term and that's when truman became president right so what you uh he was elected four uh, times. And it was at that point that Congress passed a resolution that no president could serve more than two terms after FDR. The reason he did that was because we're in the middle of World War II and he felt like, you know, he should, that was the case he made was that you don't want to change presidents in the middle of a world war. Okay. But since Truman, you have only had a, a one party hold office for more than eight years one time. And that was when you had two terms of Reagan and one term of Bush Sr. So since FDR and Truman, since their combo, you had, you had eight years of Eisenhower. You had eight years of JFK and LBJ combined. Then you had eight years of Nixon. Then you had, and, and then um, Ford served out the rest of his term for a total of eight years. Then you had four years of Carter. Then came your two terms of Reagan and your one term of Bush Sr. So that was 12 years. And then it went back to the eight and eight, flip-flop back and forth. So, you know, you've heard me use the analogy before, but it's like if you and I are going to drive from, from this house to L.A., it's going to take four hours. But you've got to commit to the whole four hours for us to get there. And if you keep getting impatient after two hours, we'll just keep turning back and forth without ever either getting to where we're going or returning back home. And I think that's what happens with people a lot of times. And listen, I, I understand no one wants to hear the truth, which is this problem took, you know, this debt took generations, multiple generations to accumulate. And so if we're really going to uh, fix it, then uh, uh, not only will you be dead <laughs> before we see it fixed, but your kids, if they're not passed on themselves, will be ancient Maybe your grandkids will finally, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's that's no campaign promise. Nobody's going to vote for you if you're honest with them like that. True. Everything's got to have a four to eight year solution. Usually they'll say six years because that's one term plus two more years. So if we get to four, I can say, well, you hadn't given me the whole six yet. So you got to elect me one more time. Do you think the thing maybe hurting Hillary is the whole health care uh I mean, basically now, I mean, the last month or so, it's really came to the fruition. premiums. But see, uh, yeah. mean, Arizona alone was over 100% increase in their... Uh... Okay, right. But here's here's the thing with that. And this this is something that I said when uh, health care reform was first coming around with Obama. The real solution is single payer. And single payer is such a liberal idea that Obama never even entertained it. Explain so, single payer again. Yes, yeah, so... So single payer would be having a version of insurance that would completely get the private insurance company out of it. You could still have private insurance. So listen, the, 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 the people with the means, the people with the money will always, it's kind of like how there's, there's, you know, there's Ferraris and then there's Kias. You know, Ferrari doesn't worry about the fact that Kia's in business because they do not compete for the same, you know, and if you can afford the Ferrari, you're going to get a better car than if you get the Kia. But both both classes are still going to be able to have a vehicle to drive. That's kind of the concept between uh, a, a society that has both private health care and 
you know, government-issued single payer. My argument is that we already have uh, uh, something uh, of, a, of, a, of a sort that's like that, but the problem is it's called the emergency room, and people without insurance treat the emergency room like it's their primary care physician, and that's why the rates are so high. So, so well, what, basically, I mean, Obama's uh, healthcare system is never going to work, in my opinion, because you're never going to convince people who are healthy to pay for insurance for people that need it. I mean, that's what basically happens. You have 200, what was it, 50 million Americans that don't fall under the criteria that need insurance. So basically to help the insurance to offstay that debt, you need them to pay into it and they don't need it. So to them, it's cheaper to take the penalty at the end. And so, I mean, that anytime, that's why I don't understand why politics and psychology don't work hand in hand, mm -hmm. where you sit there and go, hey, I'm going to put together or put forth a uh, agenda that's going to require people to give money out of their own pocket to help other people out. Really? People they don't know? Yeah. It's never going to work. It, well, people don't want to help somebody that they don't know. Okay, but... People just, we just don't. Humans are not benevolent in that way where you sit there and go, well, I'm going to make it to where you can't go to the movies on Friday because you won't have the money to. But that family down the street that may be collecting welfare or whatnot, they're going to have insurance ability. You know, and you're like, no, fuck, you know, screw them, but, but, I don't care. But in this case, though, set benevolence aside, you don't want that family's uh, kids to get uh, uh, smallpox or typhoid or something that they can give your kids if they if they breathe on them. Not, I mean, I understand there's vaccinations, but my point is there's something to be said for keeping society as a whole you want to hear as my healthy as possible. Here, I'm going to say something extremely uh, cruel, uh -huh. but uh, my children are vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So if someone else tells me their kids are not vaccinated, I'm mm -hmm. not arguing to get their kids vaccinated. Mm -hmm. To me, it's... Uh, Darwinism, natural selection. Natural selection. Yeah. If yeah. you want to go ahead and be stupid, yeah. And I feel bad in a way that your 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 ignorance is going to affect your children. Uh -huh. But if we're protecting people from doing stupid shit, yeah. I'm not for that. I'm kind of like, no, you know what? If someone's an idiot, you know, you want to jump out of an airplane and not check your chute first. By all means, jump, my friend, because you're obviously not really helping society out anyways. One last person who's uh, pulling on taxes. No, I, well, I understand not getting in the way of process of natural selection, believe me. And I using, using an example of diseases that have uh, vaccinations is probably not the best example for me to use. But the general idea that you want everybody to be basically healthy because we're all breathing the same air, you know, it's not like illness you know, stops at the door of the insured and goes, well, oh, I think wait a, a lot second. of the These health people, problems that yeah. people are having don't cross over. I think that's going back to psychology. If you look at heart disease, excuse me, uh, cancer, uh, diabetes, I think those are some of the biggest health issues yes. Americans are facing. And those aren't going to affect me if someone else can't get health care. By the way, uh, I'm going to, because my phone is about to uh, die, I'm going to turn off our video stream. So if you guys have been streaming with us, thanks for helping us out and, and uh, testing along with us. You can hear you the... Go run and get a cord? Um, you just plug it in your, your, your laptop. Yes. You want to do that? Yeah, hold on. So okay. entertain everybody. All right. So do a stand of it. Yep. Frank is, uh, is going to... So 
who's here from out of town? Uh, Frank is going to run and uh, grab an iPhone cord so we can uh, keep the phone charging, keep the party going, and uh, keep the video stream going for you guys. Uh, I'll just uh, check a few video comments while he's gra grabbing a cord. Uh, Carrie says, I want that doggy. Oh, yeah, that was Thule. Uh, if you have not seen uh, Thule and Baby before, they are the uh, the sisters. The They're called um, Teacup Yorkies, I think, is what they are. They're very small dogs. And uh, they're sisters, and they frequently wear matching tutus and other outfits around here at Stately Mirror Manor. So uh, you, can, uh, you can check them out. I uh, had some comments roll off here on the Facebook page, but I think I saw some people ask about, uh, somebody said something about Frank coming to Oregon. Uh, maybe some news on that uh, on tomorrow night's episode with Cheryl Sonnen, a uh, person who asked that question. So uh, uh, be sure to check back in on our next episode, and we may have some uh, news uh, in that regard. Okay, hold on, everybody. I'm going to uh, plug the phone into the USB. Crisis averted. Very nice. Hold on. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so to to your uh, to your point, though, yeah. As far as healthcare reform, it's like this. We are at. It's you know to use my driving to LA analogy, we've gotten as far as Baker, California, basically. I mean, we've gotten more or less halfway, and uh, you've, you've got to decide whether or not uh, we're going to go all the way to L.A. or you want to turn around and head the other direction. Now, the thing with Hillary Clinton is, uh, and Bill Maher uh, characterizes her this way, and he's, he's right when he does it, she, she is not a leader. In terms of, she's not going to be early to the party. She's not going to be the one to introduce the revolutionary idea. She has to be uh, led that direction. So what she's going to do is she and she is a politician. I mean, she's going to she's going to look at uh, at at polling. Uh, she's going to look at uh, she's basically going to you know take the temperature of the public and see which way the wind is blowing before she takes any kind of a stance. So for somebody like me, she's uh, no Merkel. No, no. And let's look, let's say she gets elected. Listen, that's where my job as a voter starts, not getting her elected. It's not over. This is where it starts because now I got to lean on her. Now I got to tell her, Hey, this is what I want you to do. Do it. And that's the mistake that that's why we get the absentee, government that we get a lot of times, I think, is because people do not stay engaged in between uh, election cycles. And so because you don't get, uh, because you don't, rather than, tr that's why I say that true liberals and true libertarians, I think, have some things in common. But they're involved. Those two party, those two groups tend to be very involved. Most people aren't. And so you end up getting kind of the you know, just the two sides of the same middle, more or less. Uh, but I do think, uh, just before we get to our, uh, our listener uh, email here, I do still think that the Electoral College is going to carry the day for her on Tuesday. So what I think is, I think Trump will do better in the popular vote than I believed he would have done maybe a week or two ago. But I don't think it's going to matter when it comes to the uh, to the actual outcome because I think uh, the electoral college is gonna is gonna bite him, especially uh, if um, especially if he loses an early uh, swing state like Florida. 
Uh, Carrie wants to know, who is up with you guys? Oh, like who's up this time of the night? Is the Mirror family still up? Is everybody retired? Awake. Okay, there you go. Yep, the house is uh, is rocking. Okay, let's read some. Uh, still doing showers and getting put to bed. Gotcha. A lot of times when I do the show, you know, because I'm not inside. And yeah. Just, everybody else just kind of stays up a little later than they should. All right. Well, let's, we'll wrap with uh, a few listener emails here, and then uh, we'll let the Mirrors go to bed. Congratulations to the Cubs. Yes, the Cubs won the World Series. I was very excited to hear that. How long did it take? 108 years. 108 years. Okay. You know what? Both teams, and I said that as I was going in, I'm not a diehard baseball fan. Uh-huh. That's kind of the uh, drawback about being born in Las Vegas and raised here. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a, you know, a team, whether it comes to football, basketball, baseball. If anything, a lot of times by default, I choose my wife's teams because she's a Bay Area girl. Mm-hmm. You know, she likes the Giants and the 49ers and, uh, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but how could you not be rooting for guys that have been that long since they've made it, you know? And yeah. the Cleveland uh, uh, Indians, it's been a while for them, too. Yeah. They've been about 40 years or so uh, since they won a World Yeah, Series. that's right, since they won. Because they played, uh, they I think in the 90s, they played World Series uh, games against the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, but, but I don't think they ever won it, right? I was in Braves in the 90s. They were pretty dominant. Uh, yes. Maddox, a local guy in Vegas, was one of the pitchers. I see. I have very selective baseball knowledge for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but... Uh, I do. Yeah, um, I'm glad they made it. You know, but had uh, had Cleveland ended up pulling it off, I wouldn't have been greatly disappointed because it's another team that had been a while since they had won one. Obviously, not as historically long as uh, the Cubs, but you know, I was excited. I'm glad. And the Cubs too, man. Uh, Cleveland, I think, had lost one or two games in the you know in the different playoffs leading up to the World Series. Mm-hmm. They had swept one team, only dropped one game before that, and basically was they were up three to one. I was telling you that because uh, you weren't really following it the way right. I was. Uh, the fact the Cubs came back. I mean, there was several games where the clubs against the Dodgers looked like they weren't going to make it. And then uh, here, you know, down three to one, they had to win three games in a row. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they came back from behind. And uh, I was impressed. That's probably, I don't know the exact numbers that that's happened, but I'll bet it's very rare that somebody's come back from a three to one deficit to win a World yeah, Series. Yeah, somebody who's much more of a baseball fan than I am would have to. It's probably only happened a couple of times. Well, I'm not sure how much of a baseball fan he is, but Hans Bjorklund is uh, online with us. And, and Hans's name jumped out to me for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I'm always impressed when somebody has umlauts in their name. I keep meaning every year that to start oh, signing my name. <laughs> I keep meaning to start signing my name. Every year I promise myself I'm going to start signing my name with umlauts, and I always forget. So maybe 2017, that'll be my New Year's resolution. But uh, I actually, uh, Hans messaged me earlier today because he uh, wanted to know if he needed to get up early to watch our video stream, and I told him we would be uh, streaming. I, I think I talked to him on Twitter. I'm not sure where uh, Hans is from. Maybe he can tell us. I'm guessing he's one of our international listeners. He's certainly got to be the only listener who has uh, the name of a member of the Sugar Cubes contained within his name. So that's impressive. Um, all right, let's get to our uh, our uh, listener email here. All right, Frank, this from Kenny Steelman. Kenny says, uh, the wife and I just finished watching The Champions on Netflix. That's my dog Mills documentary. Oh, Hans is from Sweden, by the way. Hey, Hans. Uh, uh, just finished watching the Champions documentary on Netflix. 
and uh, that you talked about on your podcast last Friday. It was disturbing to see and hear what Michael Vick and his friends had done to the dogs. We have a pit bull of our own who is nothing but a couch potato. He's great with kids, especially our eight-month-old grandson. Hope you'll keep advocating for pit bulls because you have a platform where you can reach a lot of people. Love the phone booth fighting podcast. You all have... Uh, me laughing as I'm out riding my bike. Thank you from Kenny. Well, thanks, Kenny, for listening and taking us along on your uh, bike ride. That must be a long bike ride. I'm impressed anybody can ride a bike long enough to listen to us yammer on. So uh, thanks for checking in, spreading the word about Mel's documentary, The Champions. If yep. if uh, anybody didn't catch what uh, he's talking about there, my dog Mel, who was rescued from Michael Vick's dogfighting ring, is uh, one of the subjects of a documentary that's on Netflix called The Champions. It's him and uh, a couple of the other dogs that were rescued in their happy home lives now and stuff like that. So if you want to see uh, if you want to see uh, the humble hunter abode, uh, it is featured in the documentary. So uh, check it out. All right, here's another message uh from uh well actually this guy wanted to be anonymous frank i remember this he said he said feel free to use this on the podcast but please leave my name out of it because this uh listener needs some advice you ready to dispense some advice the best that i can all right here we go first off i would like to thank you both for such an honest and entertaining podcast you work well together and different outlooks on life cover many bases on your topics Anyway, I've come to you both for some advice. Maybe even Mel could chime in. My dog Mel, he's not with us actually this evening. He, he took the night off. He's at home. It's kind of cold out here. Uh, I've hit a rough patch in my life. I'm 27 and still live with my parents. Not by choice. They are older. Yes, Richard, older than you. Oh, my gosh. Well, they, they are ancient. Uh, and I feel the need to help take care of them since I am the only child. Hey, I'm an only child, too. Uh, also, due to the fact that I was born with a certain ailment that basically slowly rotted the teeth in my mouth. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, due to this, I have been put into a massive debt of about $80,000 between the extractions and implants. I guess all the dental surgery and stuff. Um no, I'm not looking for any money or anything like that. I work a full-time job working about 50 to 60 hours a week and try to maintain a steady relationship with a girlfriend who is way out of my league <laughs> and deserves way more than I can offer her. All right, well, hey, good for you. Sounds like you got a, a, a good girl there. I feel like I've lost my passion for life. I wanted to be an MMA fighter before all of this, but obviously that is out of the window. I can barely train due to uh, the dentures, let alone take a punch to the face. I tried my hand at comedy and did fairly well, and it is something I'm interested in pursuing. I've always thought about starting my own podcast. Any advice on how to turn my life around and jumpstart my passion? Uh, and again, name is anonymous. All right, a lot to cover there, Frank. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that, um, you know, first of all, you know, taking and you know, auditing yourself, you know, taking into account what you have going for you and what you'd like to, uh, to fix. And if uh, competing as an MMA fighter has some kind of ambition for you to compete, um, there's other outlets out there for you. You don't have to necessarily do full-blown professional fights, MMA. You could do grappling competitions. You yep. could get into jiu-jitsu. 
judo, uh, no-gi grappling. There's uh, different forms of competition out there that would uh, allow you to maybe, you know, uh, pursue that aspect of your, 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 your soul, your mind, uh, of wanting to go out there and do those things. I, I, in fact, I was going to say just on, on jiu-jitsu, you know, because obviously he's got a, a special consideration to work around because he's had all this dental work and everything. Uh, you know, I wear a mouthpiece when I grapple, but I rarely need it. You know, it's usually just for the very rare errant, you know, elbow or something. But actually, if you got good training partners, everybody's pretty conscientious about that sort of thing. So yeah, I think in grappling, a mouthpiece more or less keeps you safe from biting your tongue. Yeah, uh, more than impact type of damage. Right. And so, um, I would say, um, think about opening up those doors. Just because following an MMA career uh, looks like it's not feasible due to the medical issues and 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 obviously uh, after spending that kind of money fixing your teeth uh you don't want to take a blast to the face and i can i can understand that makes sense um but like i said you know there's other outlets out there um you don't have to uh just be a fighter or nothing i mean there's also training in the gym uh that can be very fulfilling just to go to the gym and train it doesn't have to be lights camera action in front of a stage of 20,000 people for you to be a professional fighter or mm-hmm. to, to be a martial artist that's only one small aspect of it um, there's many ventures out there and I, and I think that you know going ahead and joining a local gym um, it doesn't take a ton of dedication as far as time away because like me I mean my my wife and kids take a lot of my time and why I'm doing things, I'm driving in the car, I'm in my brain, I'm training, there's videos, you can look up things, you, you know, you might only be able to go to the gym two or three hours in a week, but uh, that amount of time can be very fulfilling and very uh, enriching. And I mean, really, I think all happiness in life comes from having something that gives you happiness, that identity. And if you have an, uh, some kind of uh, preponderance to want to compete as a fighter, and obviously there's a fearless nature in you, if you've done stand-up com- uh, com- you know, comedy, Getting up on a stage takes a certain type of character trait that obviously you're going to be able to go out there and do competitions in jiu-jitsu. Um, same thing, fear of failure is pretty much what everybody's afraid of. And you've uh, figured out a way to somewhat assess that and get out there and do it. I would say if you had time to go off and pursue comedy, then you have time to go out there and pursue uh, a martial arts career. And I think that if you were to do so, your life, you would feel much more accomplished. And when you put your head on your pillow and you you know you make that commitment... Uh, a year from now, if you look back on it, even if it's not the amount of time you would like to, I mean, heck, all of us would like to spend more time doing the things we love, mm-hmm. but you can still try to, you know, through, you know, assessment of time and, and being organized, you could set some time along and, and guess what? Even a little bit of effort in that area goes a long ways in the long run. I think it's a great idea. He was just talking about he'd always wanted to start a podcast. That's a great idea. Do that. I mean, you want to talk about something that's therapeutic. I mean, just sort of because here's the thing about a podcast, you're the, the 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 talking into the microphone, into the the abyss, if you will, in talking into the Internet is its own reward. And then if people start listening, that's a bonus like because you and I oh, and he has a great platform you could stand on. Uh, you and I have already pretty much. You know, I've been in martial arts yeah. for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, but there's a gap to be bridged for those people that have never maybe made that step, to like how he is right now. Mm-hmm. So if he were to take us on that journey of starting out trying to to work that aspect of his life, 
that would be a, something that I would be interested in. I think. How I, does someone start at 27 years of age, join the local gym, and what's yeah. their first week going to be like? What's their first month like? What are some of the injuries that are going to occur, or some of the obstacles, and you know, and going back and forth? And I think that's a great, you know, uh, interesting dialogue. Well, also, and I think if you are willing to be, if he's willing to be as honest on his podcast as he is in this email that he sent, that would be a very compelling listen. Yep. I would be interested in listening to that because what you're really doing, I think. I think a podcast can be very uh, compelling when it's a documentation of a journey. And I've often said, you know, that if you go back, I mean, I, I think one cool thing about you and I, Frank, is like years from now, we're going to be able to go back and, and you can oh. trace our friendship. By I was our to write down. He's episodes. already got his blue belt. Uh, we're, no, no, you're reading ahead to the next guy, I think. Yeah, that's the oh, next. This isn't the same guy? You, no, different guy. Oh, okay. that's our next question. Sorry. Yeah, but uh, but you know, I think that that you know, you can go back and listen to. We'll be able to listen to our podcast as kind of this like evolution and progression of a friendship. And if you did that same thing with a podcast, like if he started it now, which seems to be a you know a downtime, a down period, but imagine being able to follow that podcast, you know, yeah. hearing it exactly. starting with this, uh, charting the progress, but also setbacks and things like that. But just keep it real and keep it honest. And I think it's very cathartic to communicate that stuff into a microphone. You know what? Because what is it? Doesn't a therapist always talk to you about like keeping a diary? This is a version of that. But you know, if he were to start. Uh, Doing this podcast, it's like a great, you know, document, like an oral documentation of uh, of of what he's gone through, and then you can also say uh, the same thing about stand up as well. I shrunk it. Sorry, I hit the yellow. No, actually, you activated my FaceTime. Oh, sorry. You, did you want to talk to somebody? You want to FaceTime the family? Ah, they're okay. over there. They're doing their thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, so so I think that um, you know that's a great idea, and then also um, you know also stand up uh, as well is um, you know if he's already doing that and he's he's hit some open mics or whatever he's doing with stuff like that, keep doing that as well. I think that's a great idea. All right, let's uh, move on here. Uh, Brad from Portland, Maine, offers this. Frank, he says. Great work on the podcast recently. I'm really enjoying the discussion and look forward to the show uh, to help me get through the work day of staring at spreadsheets and other stuff. Two requests. Number one, could you guys do a show focused on jujitsu training advice? I got my blue belt about a month ago after 13 months of hard training and love it more every day. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, secondly, my ears perked up at the mention of Richard's radio show in Dallas. Perhaps Frank could test out his long-form interview skills and shed some light on the details of Richard's radio career. Well, that's going to be rough. Okay. Interesting. That's one of my weaknesses. I suck at giving interviews. Uh, you mean at conducting them? Conducting them, yes. Well, I don't know about that. All right. So let's let's put that let's 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 put that in the development file. Okay. I'm going to so, develop my long form interview skills. Right. So you know what? I I think that could be interesting because you 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 know me awfully well at this point. That might be interesting to hear you. You can interview me. That might be interesting. Yeah, I'll do it. So that. you just you just interview me. You be thinking about like because it's one thing for me to tell stories or you know whenever a idea pops. Oh, this reminds me of this or reminds me of that. But I got plenty more stories you hadn't heard. So just uh, you, you be thinking. You just start compiling your questions. And at so some right, point, next time we get together, I'm going to go ahead and interview you. 
That's fine, yeah. I like yeah, it. Yeah, you do the interview. Okay, I'll let you interview me. We'll have to say that for one of our phone ends, too. That'd so be good. So actually, I can, when I'm calling you, our yep. little hey man, yeah. whenever I'm traveling, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. call you up and be like, all right, are you ready for the interview? That's right. Just fire away. Uh, let me let me have the questions. And then, uh, yeah, we can uh, we can talk some real specific uh, jujitsu. In fact, you know what we should do is maybe like one day when we're training together, Frank, we should maybe like maybe do it afterward or something like that that might be kind of the time to do it like we could do it as like a bonus episode if we're going to talk about technique or something like that yeah you can go down to the different ideas of uh that i've uh whenever i teach or do seminars I, I basically break down a lot of things and i think at this point especially um uh there's a lot of ideas and principles that can apply to training jujitsu that actually apply to almost most endeavors in life. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's why I have such an interest in the military is because, uh, you know, uh, Colonel Boyd, for example, you know, uh, the doctrines that he's written and stuff, I'll, I'll research it and read it because I think it correlates so greatly towards martial arts training and mm -hmm. to a lot of aspects in life. I mean, basically, how do you solve problems? You know, I think that martial arts really, uh, you know, one key to humans being at the top of the food chain is our problem solving skills. Mm -hmm. You know, how do I get that animal into my belly? Mm -hmm. You know, how do I make sure that I don't end up in that animal's belly? Yes. <laughs> and back and forth. And so I think that um, problem solving skills are just key. And, and you know, there's just certain approaches and principles. And obviously within that, there's creativity on what matches mostly to your psychology and how your mind works and what you have natural affinity to and what your weaknesses are and how to cover them and and um yeah we can spend a long time talking about that on one of our shows it would be a good idea and uh, you know yeah. it's uh, even like the other day in the gym we were i mean if if you really want to get uh you know technical about it i mean we were uh, we we did a whole day of of uh omoplata training uh, a move that I learned in a gi that I knew the basics of, but you showed me a whole nother side too that involved not only no gi, but some, some application of it that to me took it beyond the low percentage submission that a lot of people would think it would be. Well, because then I brought, again, man, there's so much to like folk psychology, I think, in fighting. And that's what I brought up to you. And you were like, well, why does everybody show it this way? I'm like, mm -hmm. well, because the guy teaching the move probably trained that move and learned it in a gi mm -hmm. and now he just does it without a gi but he hasn't realized that well there i mean and i know that sounds silly of course you're not wearing a gi but there's a lot of things that you'll do differently or do because of the gi that aren't necessarily uh, required to do when the guy's not wearing a gi that you could take shortcuts or eliminate steps because of what you're actually dealing with. And I think that's yeah. the problem that a lot of guys, and I think that's one of the uh, hurdles right now jiu-jitsu's having in MMA, is that almost everybody you know, that trains jiu-jitsu for their fights, their coach, that's their jiu-jitsu coach, never fought. Mm -hmm. You know, or mm -hmm. maybe they, you know, they, they, they're not teaching it from the aspect of how do I apply this to fighting? Mm -hmm. um, that would be the equivalent of me being a football player and I'm a running back and my specialty coach played rugby. It's like, well, yeah, they're similar, but they're not the same. Yeah. You know, th there's differences uh, between the two. And why would I have somebody who's going to specialize in something that doesn't do actually what I do? Yeah. And so I think that's what, uh, hurdle a lot of guys are having right now in MMA is you can go through there and go, well, who's so-and-so's jiu-jitsu coach? Oh, it's so-and-so. Hey, that's great, man. That guy's a world champion jiu-jitsu competitor, but he's not a world champion in fighting. Mm -hmm. He hasn't fought, you know, so his no is the nuances and what he's teaching 
you know, he could show you how to do it great with a gi or with no gi application. But now that someone's trying to punch you in the face, it changes. And if you don't teach with that mindset, and that's what I was showing you with the Uma Plata, that I was like, you know, when we were talking, like, why don't guys do it this way? I'm like, well, because the guy did it, he's doing it because he has a gi on. Yeah. You know, and then even if you take the gi off, they just do it slightly different because there's not a gi on. They do realize they're not wearing gis. But at the heart of it, it changes a lot of the technique. We'll do more on that at some point uh, in the future. So uh, that's a that's a solid suggestion uh, from Brad. So we appreciate it, and we'll incorporate those ideas. You got more ideas for us? Hit us up on our Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page. It's a great place to interact with us. Uh, Carrie wanted to know if uh, we have a YouTube channel. Yes, we do. It's called Phone Booth Fighting. There's not a lot on it right now, but that's uh, about to change. We'll be uploading these videos and uh, some others there as well as uh, we incorporate our whole video component. Thanks to our Fund Anything campaign, uh, we've been able to add uh, to the the production steadily on a week-by-week basis so uh, stay tuned for all that if you would like to support the show you can do it by purchasing a phone booth fighting t-shirt now two styles and multiple colors to choose from uh, you can get them at phoneboothfightingshop.com phoneboothfightingshop.com follow me on social media facebook at official richard hunter twitter and instagram at richard hunter he is on social media at official frank mirror and the frank mirror on twitter and instagram frank where do they find phone booth fighting uh, phone booth fighting you can also find us on our uh, facebook and our instagram if you want to find us on twitter or snapchat you just have to type in phone booth fight that's it Follow us on all those platforms. Why don't you collect them all? Thanks for subscribing to the podcast. Please tell a friend about the podcast. That, honestly, is the most important thing you can do for us. Tell a friend that uh, we do this twice a week, that the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, SoundCloud, or at phoneboothfighting.com. Thanks to Eddie Bravo for joining us tonight. And Chael Sonnen, look for him to return to the program tomorrow we'll be live streaming video again on the phone booth fighting facebook page and uploading of course the audio version of the podcast for you guys so until then for frank i'm richard and we'll see you next time right here on phone booth fighting everybody was kung fu fighting those kids were fast as lightning in fact it was a little bit frightening but they fought